Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Judith Meyer's new body was found lying face down in a pool of blood in an upstairs hallway. Apparently, she had been stabbed 17 times. Of course, we'll have much more on this horrific story as it develops. But for now, three people brutally murdered and a 10-year-old boy, Michael Myers, being held in custody. Today, as part of a Rewind special, we'll be discussing Rob Zombie's Halloween films. Halloween 2007 and Halloween 2 2009. Starring Sherry Moon Zombie. When did you make this? Just yesterday. Oh, it's an ass because it hides my face. I don't like you to hide your face. Take it off. It hides my ugliness. Malcolm McDowell. I don't begun to and Scout Taylor Compton. I know Michael Myers is dead. I shot him in the fucking head. I know he's not going to come back just because of some stupid holiday. Directed by Rob Zombie. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Hey buddy, just to give you a heads up, I got a Taco Supreme talking back at me, so I'm going to be a while. So do you mind waiting somewhere else and let me pass this beast in peace? It's Gally in Glasgow. And fingering a bagel in front of your mum, <laughs> it's Devlin in London. My calf is cramping. It's Patrick in Rome. I think I'm going to get me one of them sticky buns on the way in. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome gang and welcome back listeners. Listeners, it's the spooky season. Yes, we're all shit scared of things that are out with our control. But also, it's Halloween, right? So, we are going to be doing a bit of a, an unusual episode for us, team, isn't it? We don't normally tackle two movies at once. A bog-off, so to speak. Um, but we <clears> are going to do it. We're going to be doing Rob Zombie's Halloween. Duology. Yeah, what, what did he keep meaning? We just called it Halloween. 2007. Yeah. Halloween mm-hmm. 2, uh, Roman numerals 2, 2009, yes. No, 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 um, colons this time, unfortunately. No colons, no dashes, no, no hyphens, uh, we're missing everything. Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. So that's what we're going to be doing, team, because, you know, that's what we do. Um, and this, you know, we've missed out that crazy period, apart from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, but we have pretty much tackled we dealt with that a lot, the Donald Pleasant's getting old and sort of dying strangely. Yeah. Scars, no scars. Mad, mm-hmm. not mad. Gun, not there, gun. There is a bit of a tie-in. This I is Daniel Harris' uh, tie-in. Uh, she appears in uh, as the kid in four. And I think she's in five, is that right? And then uh, she yep. re uh, reappears here as a, a different character, as Annie. I think I'm, I'm a little bit, you guys have seen all of them, right? We, we talked about circling back and, and covering four through six because I find them all yeah. very fascinating and I'm sure we will one day 
like we can't leave that as a as a gap. I don't know. Are we going to watch Halloween Resurrection? <laughs> is it necessary? <laughs> Sorry, Gally, I'm going straight into it a little bit here. You haven't even invited <laughs> me, but this is the first time I've ever watched Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween Roman numerals too. Same here. Gally, you'd seen the first, but not the second. Is that right? I'd seen the first. Um, me and Davlin spoke offline about this. I had a bit of a anti don't want to see a John Carpenter Halloween vibe in 2000. And well, it would have been, I think I saw it on DVD, um, like rental. Um, but I went in there anyway. And I think my little brain went, nah, reject this at its premise. <laughs> so I didn't really yeah. give it a fair shot. Um, I did that a lot team i must say i was young i was a fool <laughs> and there wasn't really a twitter to kind of you know pu- pull me back well i guess i was the only one apart from galley then that saw it at the cinema uh and then i remember getting very excited about buying the unrated dvd on region one when it came All out right. um and there's a big exhaustive documentary on there which is like four hours long i think it's called michael lives and it's on youtube as well we've put it in the playlist this week um and I don't know if you want to get into the second one too, but um, I saw that one at the cinema with my sister at Cineworld Middlesbrough because she was a big Rob Zombie fan at the time. She oh. was the fan in my family. She owned House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects on DVD and I would borrow them periodically. And we, we've we had lots of um, sort of laughs about Malcolm McDowell and some of the, the things that he comes out with both in the film and behind the scenes <laughs> on, on this one over the years. Mm. So yeah, big big fans in my my family actually without giving too many sandwiches away and you, you encouraged me to watch the unrated version mm-hmm. matt so thanks for that there's a lot more tips than i was expecting <laughs> a lot more um, of everything really, <laughs> it? it's, it's a gruesome especially the second one it's a it's a difficult it's a, quite a nasty watch at times well my understanding was that the theatrical releases were just for the cinema and then as soon as it became available on dvd Blu-ray, etc. It's been pretty much universally the unrated yeah. cuts. Um, I think it's actually quite difficult to get a hold of uh, the theatricals on on a hard disc. From from the commentaries, it sounds yeah. like he's just very excited to put back in the things that they made him remove for time, or he removed himself for, for time. Uh, so yeah, mm. that, that di- I, I would go for the unrated if you've if you've never seen them. I would. Uh, I would go immediately for for those films because they're they're more true to what he was trying to do. Before we get into the story time for Halloween, the first one from Rob Zombie in 2007, I wanted to just clear the decks for remakes and reboots. And I've actually got the Hollywood, I'm doing quotation marks in the air because you can't see that, everyone, um, (laughs) definitions of what they are. Now, they blur lines, they cross streams, etc. But this is what... This is what they are, because this is a reboot, according to the studio. And I think that's probably about right. How do they define that, Gally? Does it mean that they're open to sequels beginning with this one again, like they're starting from scratch and they're rebooting with the potential for more in this new series? I will tell you now the definitions. Hmm. So a reboot (laughs) resets the continuity of an established film series. The term reboot should be reserved for film properties that have extended beyond a single movie and have thus established a continuity that the subsequent reboot throws out in favour of a new status quo. For example, James Bond has been doing this for a while now, but if we look at Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, that was a kind of let's go back to the beginning. Uh, The other one would be Christopher Nolan's 
Batman with Batman Begins, where he goes back and we see a new Batman, a new origin mm. story, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that's a reboot. And then just for clarity's sake, a remake closely recreate one particular film. I'm not, by the way, the arbiter of this. This is this is according to the studios. Um, like Psycho. Yeah, Psycho, um, Gus Van Sant's Psycho would be the best example of that. And here's the, here's the, the little paragraph that comes with it. In order to be considered a remake, a new film has to, uh, hew closely to the original in terms of plot, character, and format, with some allowances made to appeal to modern sensibilities. Or, so, for example, um, The Ring, the American version. Okay. Um, and then the other ones I had was, uh, Zach Schneider's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. But, um, this was, this was where the, the, the line can become a little blurred though, because of course the Dawn of the Dead, um, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead was the second part of, at the time, a trilogy and later became well, six films, maybe. I don't know. Um, and he only remade the second film. But somebody cheaper came in and made a Day of the Dead sequel yeah. to his Dawn the of the Dead. one. <laughs> Whereas, uh, the, the remake of the Crazies, for example, which was just after Dawn of the Dead would be a straight up remake because it's a, a standalone film for a modern audience. Yeah. The, the sequel kind of mm. defines whether it's a remake or a reboot. Cause Bond, for example, you'd have a series of films with that particular actor, unless you're, uh, Paul Lazenby. But Casino Royale would be considered <laughs> the reboot and then everything yeah. else subsequently mm. are, are sequels from that nexus in the timeline. Well, it all gets a bit confusing. Is Timothy Dalton supposed to be, does he remember what Roger Moore got up to? <laughs> <laughs> what about Superman Returns that we went to see at the cinema, Gunny? That's a reboot because there's a new actor playing Superman and you see a new origin story. So I would go reboot for Superman, Ret- Superman Returns. But it follows on from... Yeah, because he re- does Superman. remember oh. yeah. the events of the Superman oh, no. films, <laughs> although kind of moves them around. Shuffles oh, no. the death, doesn't yeah. he? I've gone cross-eyed now. That's, but... Um, what, but it, but it's but it's not a straight up Lego sequel like uh <laughs> like David Gordon Green's Halloween, which mm. is carries on from the strictly well done, fully in in the lineage. Well, a bit like the um the Predalien. They just make up words mm. now for the this confusion. They call them rebuffles, <laughs> which is just maddening. <laughs> Fuck off. You can't... No, I'm being I'm being serious. The, ju- the it's true the Jurassic the, the, the Jurassic World stuff, right, is supposed to be a rebootquel because no the idea is I've like never heard this word. I've never heard this word. It happens after everything you've already seen, brings in a bunch of new bullshit. And that's what we're supposed to be following. It's like, uh, it's like Saved by the Bell, the new class. They, they want to have their cake and eat it. You know what? I'm going to check my contract. Cause, that, cause at the moment <laughs> I'm on a prequel to a very popular horror film. And I'm now wondering if this is like a reboot in the, pre- no, it can't be hmm. strange. Mm. But anyway, don't ask too many questions, Patrick. You want to stay on the production. <laughs> They don't like people asking too many difficult questions like, is this a reboot or is this a prequel? But anyway, um, we digress. So just, just for listeners sake, that's, that's what we're, we're categorizing this as. Cause then it kind of forms the context of our discussion, which is, okay, you have John Carpenter's original. And then how does this compare? Cause you can go direct comparison and we can ignore all of the, the mess or fun mess in some, some of the installments 
of the the sequels that came after um, John Carpenter's Halloween from 78. So that's what we've kind of done there in a very long way, but a very fun way, I would suggest, listeners, yes. So allow me, listeners, to remind you of the plot to Rob Zombie's Halloween. On Halloween in Haddonfield, Illinois, having already exhibited signs of psychopathic tendencies, 10-year-old Michael Myers murders a school bully, his older sister Judith, a boyfriend Steve Haley, and his mother's abusive boyfriend Ronnie White, only sparing his infant sister. After one of the longest trials in the state's history, Michael is found guilty of first-degree murder and sent to Smith's Grove Sanitarium under the care of child psychologist Dr. Samuel Loomis. For the next 15 years, Michael continues making his masks and not speaking to people. Loomis, having continued to treat Michael over the years, attempts to move forward with his life and closes the case. However, later, Michael escapes the sanitarium and makes his way back to Haddonfield with the purpose of hunting down his younger sister, now named Laurie Strode. The only thing standing between Michael and a Halloween night of bloody carnage is psychologist Dr. Samuel Loomis. So we were talking about reboots. This was the era, right? I remember the 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 gritty the gritty <laughs> reboots was the the mid two thousands. So I've already mentioned Bond and Batman. Do you remember the Friday the Thirteenth that they tried? Where Jason? Oh, are these the Platinum Dunes Michael Bay Company stuff? Mm. He was, he was the early, the earliest one I found was Unbreakable, which was two thousand. Spider Man, the Sam Raimi one, which would count. That's uh, two thousand two. As far as origin stories, dark origin stories, uh, they tried to do the Hulk twice in 03 and 08. And then, um, Iron Man and Iron Man. And then there's a Wolverine too in 2009, the, the X-Men origins Wolverine. Ooh, that's very mm. poor. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's the one with Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. The dregs. Do you remember, um, the, the late, the late period gritty reboots where they were just grabbing some bullshit? Like, I don't know, maybe Hansel and Gretel. Except oh, that yeah. now they wear leather and kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> the Brothers Grimm. This ain't your granddad's little Miss Muffet. <laughs> I suppose my opening question to you guys is, how does how do we think Rob Zombie tackles that terrain? Because one of the things that I I thought when rewatching his first installments was, and this is a bit of a theory of mine. But I think the film he wanted to make was Michael Myers, the origins, as in what motivates, let's get into the psyche, basically the first hour of the movie. And I wonder if he was contractually obliged to deliver for the fandom, which is, well, if we're doing a Halloween movie, we need to see some people getting stuck up against a wall with a big knife. It made me think of things like Columbine and and all that, because it was like this, um, I I was really worried actually about, what Rob Zombie was going to do because he was this guy who kind of likes Charles Manson and he sort of glamorizes that. I mean, it looks just like him and even throws a couple of lines in here about, about Manson. I think it might be in the second one. He drops a couple in. I think there might be a mic. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a giant Manson. Poster. There's a poster and a line of dialogue. I can't remember what it is. I'll find it for later, but. And, and, uh, I think spray painted on the wall is the phrase. What would Charles Manson do? Uh, oh, wow. There you go. Is that why, I wonder if that's why Michael's got long hair as well. Yeah. So if you factor in the bullying and, um, you know, the, the, the stepfather, um, abuse and all of these things that he's trying to, uh, humanize and explain away, uh, and justify it 
um, which is an interesting take on it because you don't see anything like that in the original. And we've, how often have we said like the demythologizing of things makes it less scary? But there, there are elements mm. to this that I enjoyed because I'd never seen that particular approach to a Halloween movie. The thing with the original is that it is so kind of elemental and, um, by design kind of simple and, and, and to the point and brutal. And... Do you remember on that podcast, Dev, where, where they said that it was existential in the sense that the horror was existential and from Carpenter because he believed, you know, bad things happen to every, everyone. They can have the potential of happening to anyone at any time. And that film feels like that. And, yeah. Michael's mm. like a conduit through which just like chaotic evil can exist. Mm. And, uh, and, and the way it hits people, whereas this was, um, I didn't really know much about, it. I did know that there was, uh, an aspect of like the, the child Michael. I had no idea there was so much, mm. um, in the film that it takes up virtually what the first 50 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Pulling on that thread, Devlin, about, and we, t- we discussed it when we did the original Halloween about evil and chaos coming into the mm. suburbs. Whereas Rob Zombie's take is that evil is already there. He's torturing the animals before anything that we see happens, but we can assume that things have been happening all these years and they haven't been good. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the people, the inhabitants of the, of Haddonfield, you know, so in the original, they were all, it was, it was kind of like blissful Americana. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, white picket fences. Um, everyone's like, see you later, dad. I don't know. They tripped that kid over onto his oversized pumpkin. That's pretty mean. <laughs> Everyone is very mean spirited and kind of mm. disgusting in a way that <laughs> not to say that it justifies, um, young Michael's actions, but it's like one of those ideas of, uh, you become a product of your environment and the environment itself is pretty nasty and hostile, especially at home. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say everyone, um, uh, later on, you know, later on, cause he kind of flips it. Like Laurie's parents are actually really lovely the way that they're having a lovely Halloween and they're leaving that answer phone message. And Sheriff Brackett is a very mm. likable chap. Mm-hmm. But um, did, did this remind you of any films that we've tackled previously uh, structurally? Uh, I thought of one that we'd done, talked about, that is a is a film of two halves. Ooh, not uh, not immediately coming to mind, no. Um, Full Metal Jacket, I I thought, because it's kind <laughs> oh. of a strange origin story. Although, you know, Pyle gets taken out at the end of the first half. Yeah. But it's really a film that's split in, in two, and the first half is how the monster is made, you know. that's the. Mm. I, I thought it was a bit like that. Well, Matt, you were saying before about, um, you know, demythologizing Michael. Um, I found it both interesting and also slight... I think the danger is that when, and this is where I think he's contractually obliged to do the second half of the film, mm. because we're not given enough time, so it comes off as very simplistic. Like, he's obviously got an aesthetic Rob Zombie. I've seen um The Devil's Rejects. He clearly loves 70s exploitation cinema. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, just forget about, like, the look of it, but just the feel, the tone, all of that stuff. Um but the idea that this young boy who's in an abusive uh, family environment, he's got a, 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 I mean, a cartoonish stepdad played by William Forsyth, who, um, you know, will, will forever be in Juice Bigelow, uh, in my he's mind. Got, he's got a thin dick. He's got, what do you think of this? <laughs> it's, very, it's very, um, 
but obviously also seen in uh, in the rock as uh, as tough FBI guy um mm. but yeah he's he's clearly like we want to see him get his comeuppance but the idea that 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 kind of feeds into michael's where he's going to go mm. and also we straddle a line between so in the first one we talk uh, the first one in john carpenter's original he was the shape right so he mm. he we i think carpenter said listen he just represents a kind of inhuman supernatural power potentially in this we straddle the line where is he supernatural has he been taken over by an evil entity or is he just six foot eight and fucking huge which means that he, he can take a serious amount of abuse so it that i don't know what you thought about that did you find that scary and creepy or did you find that to be too simplistic and slightly reductive we say too simplistic i think we've already commented on this simplistic and simplistic that devlin mentioned from carpenter that there was an, an easy kind of narrative in the original that is very straightforward and this is a relentless killer on the loose and matt and i agree quite a lot when we talk in the past and on this one, that when you, uh, tell us what the myth, myth bust it all, I just don't get anything from that, to be honest. Mm. And I kind of, because I know I can compare this to something, um, myth busting who Michael Myers is and where he's come from is not scary to me. Um, it didn't really work from a domestic abuse kind of scariness that this is what people can transform children into you know like uh, the children are the future kind of element to it and no galley I, di- I didn't really find it that scary and what i think rob zombie is trying to make it more adult and darker and quite literally in a bit more serious in um that development at the beginning but i don't know it i don't know where i'm actually going with this apart from i wish i feel a bit split <clears throat> With, with mm. that stuff, because I, I enjoy some of the. I don't the, know. It's some of it was, it, it, it's interesting to to try something different, and if he was contractually obligated, it's a shame that he didn't get to tell the full story. But I don't know. I, it's, it's me saying I prefer the original I, and the simplicity yeah. of the original, and mm. and the kind of relentlessness of that compared to a simplistic storytelling here to spoon feeders where someone's come from and they're 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 um their actions kind of justifying yeah. them, which I, I think I, I think that's the problem I have is that the justification of it. I didn't want that in a way. Right. Do you feel like, um, there was a lot of across both films, um, like real intro to psychology stuff of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the second, especially with Margot Kidder's office and like, what's that poster? Ah, it's an <laughs> inkblot test. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Fucking Nicole yeah. Kidman taught us that in Batman Forever. <laughs> Do you ever think of that? <laughs> so it, it, there's, I, in a way, I admire his kind of clarity of thought and purpose in terms of like, he has such a bravado with everything he pulls off. It's like, nah, fuck it. This is what I read and I'm going to put this in. And I don't think mm. that Rob Zombie is an unintelligent guy. I think he's a, a, a smart dude. I just think that he's maybe he understands that there's no point over freighting things with, with, uh, especially for, you know, a slasher movie. It's, but I, but I did feel, uh, yeah, that it was a little potentially like redneck exploitative 
and and reductive well, in thing. terms of the, <laughs> totally yeah him. exploitive in terms of the complexities that come with uh with difficult upbringings and it could but then again that's that is sometimes in the nature of ex- exploitation films not all the time oftentimes exploitation films can be surprisingly nuanced with this stuff because mm. they are untethered from the needs of commercial filmmaking and i guess that's why this one is so strange because it has to straddle the mm-hmm. line really it's a dimension films and it was intended for a wide release so um, you obviously I guess know a lot more on exploitation films than i do but is the trash talk kind of style of everyone talking trash talk is that an exploitation film kind of trope um i found the dialogue in the first film quite grating i thought he toned it down quite a bit for the second there are yeah. moments yeah. but that everyone Especially when we get to the second part and we meet the three, the three girls, the three mm. uh, friends, their dialogue is so try hard profane that it really sort of turned mm. me off. Um, that's not really a, a, a hallmark of exploitation cinema largely has like quite perfunctory dialogue uh, oftentimes. Yeah, functional, isn't it, it? Just get us to, it, get it, us to the next, se- next you, scene. You will, you will get a couple of little weird nuances. So, um, but everyone talks a lot in the first film. Funny, you know I have to fucking work tonight. Somebody around here has got to make some money. I'm all broken up here, bitch. I can't work. Yeah, and whose fault is that? Fuck you. Oh, God, you're pathetic. You know that new waitress over at the bingo lounge? She can give me the freaky eye. Oh, the whore with the big tits hanging down to her knees? Maybe I'll choke the chicken, purge my snorkel all over them flappy-ass tits. Good, we'll have a good fucking time. I will. I hope she likes cripples. Bitch, I will crawl over there and I will skull fuck the shit out of you. Oh, I'll get the crutches for you. I mean, in this yeah. film, like in the first, I don't know how many minutes you've got bestiality mm. references, yeah. you've got incestual stuff, yeah. you've got like really, really horrible mm. quadrupling down. But all the characters it. are it, kind of introduced yeah. this way with saying some bullshit. Like the security guard with Tra- Danny Trejo goes straight into a fucking tirade yeah. of nonsense. And it, yeah, it, it was racist, yeah, the stuff directed yeah. at Danny. But and the, is that you know, it's simplistic, Gally? Is that a simplistic way of saying, well, he's going to die? I don't think so. I think he's demonizing the world. I I don't think okay. Rob Zombie is a big fan of the human race. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he's like uh, he's w- w- what he's seeing is um, the reason for someone like Michael existing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't want to say Manson, but I'm sure that's in the back of his mind. But I mean, Manson's crackpot I, I wouldn't even bring bring him into any of this but he i think he's justifying a lot of the things that michael does because of the way yeah. he's been treated by by the world and is and back to what you were saying is that scary it's a scary concept because it really is and you said columbine and it is a really scary concept but i don't think it worked in this film i i'd agree with you but i i think i'd give him some points for not making it supernatural but everything you okay, said there yeah, patrick I, yeah. I agreed with but i would throw him something because there's no ghostly kind of yeah, um, yeah. Un- unkillable element to him yet you know when we get to the second one there's there's uh, some of that creeping in particularly with the dreamier 
elements in terms of like what's scary though isn't it scary the idea of the original little angelic boy michael who we know so little about but seems to have a relatively normal middle to upper middle class household just snapping one day yes and violently stabbing his sister instead of seeing this poor kid and he's you know he's already troubled but he's got like the worst human being in the world sat at his dinner table making fun of him minute after minute he's got a sister who's mean to him he's bullied at school like it's it piles on the misery also i i have a problem with films that get very very shrill i find it really undisciplined i have such a massive problem with like david o russell films for example when everyone's just fucking shouting on top of each other there is nothing more infuriating to me in the world than people just yelling over each other in a scene because it totally just like shuts down my brain receptors and it just makes me very annoyed at everyone Mm. and it means that there's no um you're not following a through line of who's doing what and where you start from and where you get to. It did settle down. It was, it was a lot to take in to start with. And I did like the, the there's a lot to, that I found very fascinating and some really good, like good old fashioned nuts and bolts, filthy slasher filmmaking to come later in this first section. But yeah, the, uh, it, it, it was a little shrill and simplistic. One of the scenes that worked for me as far as just understanding, because I, like you, Devlin, and I think we're all in agreement, seeing Michael's motivations or seeing potentially like uh, an array of potential motivations as to why he ends up on the path he goes on, which is just kind of indiscriminately kill him. Um, immediately, I'm not as scared. I'm currently watching the Jeffrey Dahmer series um, <laughs> on a on a streaming site that I shall not name because they don't need any more press. Um, and it's it, it's fascinating, it's interesting. But what they have got is they've got lots of time. So not that you can explain away, but everyone become can become a pseudo psychiatrist for a little bit and go, oh well, that well, that, that was the reason why. In this, I just don't. There's enough time to breathe. He throws it all at the wall, doesn't he? And we have to kind of uh, you know mm. pick it apart, but. I think there's a a thing to you remember in Scream when he said um it's the 90s motives are incidental mm. and uh, did did we ever find out why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people don't think so you know mm-hmm. all that stuff it's it's true there there is there's some imagery at the beginning that there was one shot in particular which when he puts on young Michael puts on the mask when he kills his sister there's a nice shot and you see his eyes blinking behind the mask which I quite like, and there's things in it so, that are eerie, I think. Um, but scary, this scariness, it just didn't, like this, Devlin, like you said, the, the young angelic boy is snapping, but that POV kind of voyeurism, a single take, was it, if I remember, like yeah. weirdness of the opening of Halloween is really unsettling. And we're in the shoes as well. That's the thing that like we're seeing it. It's very unsettling and very scary for the original, but this one is uh, giving me too much mm. and just showing it, too much. The freeze on like, of surprise. I like the exploitation stuff and all the blood and gore and it's all executed very well. And I, funny enough, I just looked at his IMDb thing for Rob Thomas. I was like, have I ever seen a Rob Zombie film and no, apart from Grindhouse and, and, and this now. And so I'm unfamiliar with that. And maybe I, I wasn't quite expecting a full on, uh, blood and gore and tits film, to be honest. Um, I didn't know what, what, what I was going to expect. I didn't know what Rob Zombie was going to do the psych, Gus Van Sant's cycle, like we said, and, and, and honor the film completely or, and I, yeah, I, I'm, 
answer another question you said earlier, Gully, I'm quite glad that he tried something different here. And I was kind of, oh, okay, right. I'm up for this. Let's, let's watch this. It just, I, without, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't scare me, but I, I was interested in what he was trying to do with young Michael. Well, here's another thing we said on the Halloween 1978. We, we all had a problem kind of with the acting. And I think the acting's far better in, in this one. And, um, yeah, the young kid's good. It does contemporize it, doesn't it? Yeah. It does yeah. That. Um, also, can I mention the uh, Loomis Michael relationship there in terms of making the murderer? Um, we obviously get a lot more of that here. You don't see any of, of that. We just skip to Donald Pleasant driving <laughs> through the rain and then he escapes. Do you like his long hair, um, walk down the corridor introduction? I like, I like the rock star Loomis stuff. I think, I think, it, I think, and, uh, McDowell is perfect because he's got uh he's got an arrogance that is inherent that there is a snobbery about him just by the way mm. his cadence but also the way he plays all the scenes it's you get the sense that this individual is is self-serving as well as trying to support this this child there's I, he 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 taps into it far more in the sequel but you see when the, he writes the book yeah, yeah but you see exploits it you do see the little the little kind of green shoots of opportunity like he sees an opportunity in michael as like this case could make me um it's not not explicitly said and that's why i prefer their relationship in this one because it's It's also like it's not a quality it's not based on equality he's not there to be like i'm here to help you michael there is a sense of and he's also arrogant in the way that he's like don't worry i'll leave you with the nurse like that kind of stuff that went well yeah (laughs) the the, uh (laughs) He, um, he also says, I failed, I failed you. It's my fault. I know he's trying to get him away from Laurie at the time, but there's this idea, this Frankenstein thing that he's created this kid. He hasn't, of course, but he, he's also failed, you know, the, the, um, uh, you know, psychology and all these things can often fail, fail people. You know, there's often, how often have we heard like there's not enough, uh, you know, with the gun laws and things in America and the screenings for mental health and all these things that there's not enough of that. So you, you could, Add another layer there mm. that, that the system has failed Michael to. Are you saying Michael did this? Michael loves animals. He... Why would he do this? Mrs. Myers, typically the thrill of hurting or causing pain to smaller creatures, it's often an early warning sign. Early warning sign for what? For much deeper and bigger problems. What do you mean problems? What is this? He's a very disturbed young man. I have to evaluate him, and I'd like to interview him. I need to take him through a series of tests. But you can talk to him, but what is uh, what is evaluating him? What does that Obviously, mean? Obviously, it's a very deranged young mind that can do this to his pets. I, I, I think that probably there's a tendency for some people to... Uh, think that the dude's not smart because he was in a band mm. and his films are you know turned up to 11 and they're blood and gore and and, and breasts <laughs> and, and, and whatnot and and i do think that that is an extremely unfair assessment i think the guy is smart it's just that this is what he really likes mm. in in his films but i think that because there are filmmakers that when you watch their films you think you must be somewhat of a dipshit <laughs> like you probably are you referring to the strauss brothers there <laughs> Brett Ratner. Uh, Rat- Ratner would be would be my would be my go to. Strauss Brothers is smart enough to have set up their own effects studio. I think they're just a pair of hacks. Uh, Ratner seems like a fuckhead. <laughs> he, he is a chucklehead, which is my favorite uh, slang word for anyone. 
<laughs> Whereas, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case for the zombie. I think he's probably, especially at the time, and possibly even by me, because I didn't watch the films at the time, and I, I did so probably out of some misplaced, uh, misplaced carpenter kind of loyalty. Like, as we all know from later years, carpenter's cool as fuck, and when he says someone wants to make one of my films, he extends his hand somebody places in a check <laughs> he's like that's the yeah. that's the kind of job i always wanted to have in life yeah. <laughs> the, the, the other thing that he, he tends to over explain things i thought going on from what patrick was saying uh there's a bit in the original that has a slight sexual element to it when he kills his sister she's topless in that room it's never explained though it's suggested here it's the, yeah. the, like when, when he kills his sister here there's even a slight kind of moan mm-hmm. when he stabs her that's that's quite almost a sexual she gives the moan doesn't she thing. and it's she does and he touches her on the leg too yeah. like he yeah. runs runs his hand up her leg so it's and she's she's been hypersexualized already as well when she comes into the uh the breakfast table he hasn't got a great deal of restraint has he zombie you know he almost like needs no. somebody an editor or um a creative partner to kind of go rob great great sensibilities great instincts just give us a little less and it'll be way more effective and one of the one of my favorite scenes makes me sound like i'm also um a, a crazy but i <clears> love i love the uh, revenge on the bully scene because I thought that he mm. was doing really good stuff with it. There was, we were going from like the killer's perspective to the victim's mm. perspective. And, you know, we watching that bully in the two minutes that we see that douchebag, we are like, you know what? Good on you. I also like the galley, the, um, what led into that is the bully scene in the bathroom because yeah, it's very easy to have mm. made that that Michael would be completely quiet and silent, but there's a hint of him fighting back. He tells the teacher to fuck yeah. you. And I quite, I, I quite liked that that would lead into, and again, that that's, if you want a myth bust, it's fine for the development. And that that's done really well. He walks out of the bathroom stall. Usually that sequence would be that he would hide in the bathroom stall and yeah, then yeah, the bullies yeah. would realize that he's there and then they would bang on the door and then they would drag him out and then they would beat the shit out of him. But he walks out voluntarily, mm-hmm. probably knowing mm-hmm. that they're going to start some shit with him and he doesn't back down from mm-hmm. them. So it's no, like, yeah. it's a, the, the, a lot of the young Michael stuff is kind of fascinating in that way that it's, and yeah, that scene, like broad daylight out in the woods, really autumnal, like it's super mm-hmm. atmospheric and yep. it's relentless. And you believe it, those hits are, are, are brutal too. I liked what he was doing with the camera. I like the fact that the whole, the whole movie, um, I, I thought about perspective. You know, when we, in the 78, we're, we're looking at the movie through essentially kind of Loomis and Laurie Strode perspective and then michael's pov is specific to the the kind of the stalk and chase element um in this where the movie is kind of from michael's perspective you could argue his mum's for a bit and then it goes into michael certainly the second half laurie is just a name we're not watching the second part of the movie from any of the teenagers perspective it's all from michael's and i thought that was interesting because there is always that discussion with horror films slashes about who do we identify? Do we identify with the killer or do we identify with the victims? And I think Zombie is is playing with us as an audience. And I found myself kind of conflicted because, as I say, during that bully scene, there was a part of me that was like, he deserves, uh, maybe not to, you know, he didn't deserve to be killed, clearly. But, you know, he's a douche. He's a douche to everyone. When he spits in that kid's hat for no reason, he's just a plain dickhead. But then it goes too far. And then we're like, oh, wait a minute. This is... And then the next scene that I think Zombie, again, nails is the Danny Trejo kill. 
because that's when we realize, oh no, Michael will not discriminate. Like just because you've yeah. given him mm. some, um, yeah. some, you know, kindness. I was good to you, Mike. Yeah, that oh. is the mo- that is like <laughs> the most was, painful death. Uh, to it watch. was retirement as well. It's yeah, a classic last day retirony. on the job. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, three months. <laughs> I only watched the unrated version, and I saw that galley that there was. Um, a lack of restraint and enjoying himself in like, oh, you know, another hit, another hit, another hit, blood, blood, blood. Um, in, in the other version, is it more restrained? Is, is there a difference? I, I thought they were both quite brutal. I mean, you've, you've hooked into one difference there, which is the escape. Uh, okay. What the, one of the key, the key differences between the unrated and the theatrical version of the 2007 Halloween is that the, uh, unrated has a very nasty rape scene. Yes. Uh, with, uh, the, the, the guard that is talking, being racist to Danny Trejo. Um, he brings a friend by and there's a very Tarantino. Oh, it's very Tarantino, isn't it? Of, uh, yeah. It's very, yeah. Some of the dialogue I thought too is, was kind of a steal, but, um, it's, it's clearly an influence, but uh, yeah, there's a nasty rape that leads to them fucking with his masks mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, that's the only thing that really annoys him. And he manages to escape that way in the theatrical and the, the theatrical has, uh, Leslie Easterbrook from Police Academy and, uh, Bill Mosley, who's a Rob Zombie stalwart as cops. And, uh, there's a, a nasty scene there where they're, they're moving Michael from one place to another. And he does the traditional, what Michael always does, um, you know, kill some cops and manages to get mm. away. I mean, I, not to say I preferred the, unrated i think both of them are kind of weak source because the unrated felt so contrived like i was like yeah okay yeah. so if you're gonna if you want if you're the, those kind of sick pervert chaps who are going to rape a mentally ill patient what was the kick in doing it in michael's room there wasn't enough antagonism between the two i think they wanted him to get involved i think that was the t- most twisted aspect of it they were trying to get him to participate in some way that really was like Come on, let's be smarter than that. And does it not humanize Michael a bit that he's, he's sort of, he doesn't come to her rescue, but, mm. um, he kills the guys that are being horrible to her. What happens to her? Does she, she doesn't die, right? We don't see him kill her, but she, she screams, he kills the two and he's out in the corridor. I think she's just mm. left on the bed in shock, I think. Mm. We're not, we don't see it, but again, it speaks to this idea that you said, you know, zombie demonizes the world. Everyone in Haddonfield is so hateful. So, mm, uh, you know, yeah. Danny Trejo is the nice, you know, one of the nicest people we meet, but he's also got a past. He's been to prison. He's clearly done something. Yeah, but that, that poor girl was just a vehicle for like some gross out violent scene there. And that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's very male gaze, this film. Yeah. Playing with that as a, as a plot device is always yeah. a pretty dangerous game for, for, for me and like you said it. like he reacts to the masks he doesn't react to help her mm. she is just mm. a piece of meat in that scene yeah so it, it can be you know it could be extremely kind of awful and 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 triggering to watch and it doesn't sort of justify itself in no. plot terms obviously you know everyone's going to have their own opinion as to whether it's ever justified in plot terms but 
you have to find your own mark. I, I thought this one was, yeah, it was, they, they really threw that in there and I don't think they needed to. It's, it's not straw dogs, is it? Exactly. You don't need to do mm-hmm. that. It, but maybe it's more impactful if it is just that they walk in there and they start fucking with him because they think that that's something to do because yes. he's a big, he's a big <clears throat> mute guy and it's like, they're going to. Let's go and mess with his masks and see what he does. Exactly. Yeah. If the guy yeah. was like drunk in, hey, come on. We'd had the setup scene, like, don't look at me, I'll fuck this place up, get drunk and I'm going to do it. He's got bravado that, and he can't back it up. That would be, that would mm. be enough. But the cops, on the other hand, is very generic. Uh, you, you've seen that in, I don't know how many of these kinds of films, like, they're moving Michael from one place to another. It's like, don't move him, yeah. just leave him where he is. <laughs> he was happy making his paper mache masks. Yeah. Why did you move him? <laughs> what did, what did, um, Loomis say? He said, uh, you, you, Keep him in the cage. You had one job. Just keep the monkey yeah. in the cage. And Anytime they give McDowell anything American-ish to say is funny. <laughs> like the, the the zombie dialogue thing of like only being able to write in one voice, which is fair. He has like a specific voice. Everyone talks like how he wants them all to talk. So it's like, so when he's trying to say to Michael, the little boy Michael, it's like, uh, you're probably my best friend. So. Tells you how fucked up my life is. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Malcolm McDowell has never said that sentence. In the second one, they make him say ass. Mm. I'll kick your ass or something. Mm. What did you guys think of, um, of Rob Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon? Because- I thought she, yeah. I thought she was, she was decent. Yeah. So sorry. Um, who is she? Yeah. She is Rob's, Rob Zombie's, uh, wife in real life. She's called Sherry Moon Zombie and she's casting almost everything that he does to the point where it's become a bit of a, a bit of a joke, I think. Like he's just remade the monsters and she's the mum in the monsters. But, uh, I'd agree. I think she, she does okay. She doesn't bother me at all. I liked her. I thought she was uh, good. And you know, like yeah. we don't want to jump ahead too much, but I think that she remains good th- throughout both films. I. For what she needs to do in the second one, she's ethereal and she's got the presence and she looks good. And no were you were her. you not surprised that when she um, commits suicide that she didn't do it in front of Michael? I would have thought that would have been the obvious move, just because him not seeing his mother die is. His mother is is like the one thing that kind of keeps him relatively grounded. No, I don't know about that because I think that if she goes there, that that's the whole point of her going to visit him is to save him. And if she goes then sees him, she's not saving him by doing that. So she can't face him anymore. I'm just thinking in a movie that's so quite deprived and ugly in that first part when we're... Oh, you're surprised he didn't go there. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't go there because everything's relatively shorthand. And we're, you you know, we've mentioned he's, he's justifying. If he's not justifying, then he's giving us reasons or multiple reasons why Michael might end up on the path he goes on. So I'm surprised that he, he's already on that he, path he did that in isolation. Hmm. Yeah, but I thought that would be the thing that would maybe tip him over. But I suppose he does then have like, what is it, 15 years of just mm-hmm. protein yeah. bars and, and paper mache masks. <laughs> Looking growing. Fifteen years of pure growing. Looking That's forward. What... To this I mean, I don't, I don't know what they're feeding him. What Danny Trejo is slipping into his fucking soup. <laughs> it's something, <laughs> something else, isn't it? I mean, what, again, that's another difference from the original. Because well, the the shape was was innocuous, but he was like it wasn't six was a, conspic- a conspicuously tall, <laughs> but a, a normal sized tall person. But yeah, fuck me. Tyler Maine is uh, is an enormous man, isn't he? I found his performance <laughs> to be totally functional as Michael Myers, but mm. I didn't get that personality. It was pure brutality, pure mm. force of nature stuff. Yeah. 
But, you know, like little things, I'm not suggesting that if he tilted his head once, that would be like, oh, character. You know how we talked in Predator, how um, in the first one, you got a sense Kevin of the Peter personality Hall. from Kevin Peter Hall's mm. performance. They're just You could tell that Tyler Mayne was like, I'll hit my mark. I'll be brooding, intimidating because I am six foot eight. I'm fucking huge, yeah. so I don't really need to do a great deal. Do you, do you remember we on on the zombie one we talked about uh, Kane Hodder as Jason? You can just tell mm. when it's him, and you can you can tell in the original Halloween too. Uh, you know the movement of, of mm-hmm. the shape. Yeah. Uh, th- this one, it was just that broad, tall brutality. There was nothing, nothing else to it, but. Uh, you know, was this the film, really... Devlin, that that you liked the mask? This was my favourite mask. I like um, this mask. That's what I this wanted. Is my favourite one of of all. The mask yeah. looks permanently angry, doesn't it? It's good. Mm. It's marked well. It's a good colour. Oh, it's... I was going to say the opposite there because Rob Zombie has this thing where he talks about how people were saying to him, uh, "Did you change the mask for this scene?" And the mask looks different here. It looks like he's smiling, or it looks like he's angry, or it looks mm. he looks more empathetic. Well, this, this one, I feel like if the, the way it's lit, um, it can have, I didn't really see too much smiling, but it, it seemed to have different shades to the, the emotions mm. of it. And I don't know if that's good or bad. It's interesting, but the, the original but, film is, is still fantastic. But this one, in terms of sequels and, and remakes and reboots, I think this is my favorite. I like the, um, it, it has the same effect as like a, a noh mask, you know, like the Japanese theater masks where, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the actors will tilt their head to a very specific, very, very specific album. And, and the eye holes are cut in such a way as that it can go yeah. from tragic to aggressive and it's just from lighting and tilting. And I thought that they had this. Yeah. I, I, I noticed some moments where like the sort of the, the inner parts of what would be the eyebrows were sort of raised where it looked, you know, because like the shadows kind of hit it in a certain yeah. way. Yeah. And it's definitely not H2O. That's H2O is the worst of the bunch. Thank that was God. just a plain white Thank mask God. and the director did not care at all. He had, had no input at all. Just <laughs> give me a white mask. Over, um, no, H- H2O was, was, was like going to, you know, your local Toys R Us for your Michael Myers mask. It was poor, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. The mask obsession was again one of those cases whereby it's like, let's just put a button on this. Let's make it one thing. He's obsessed with masks. He uses the mask to hide behind. But that's one where it worked, I think, where it's like, because I think if you start getting too into like mythologizing or explaining away why this mask matters, like you can get into some real bullshit rabbit holes. Whereas it's just, it's the mask that the boyfriend had when he killed his sister and he hid it and then he went back for it like it's it's like a trophy yeah especially when you're doing a reboot where like you know the mask was was already a bit strange it's just that it works in the first one because the first one does so little heavy lifting as far as explaining why it just is and an original is always going to have an advantage which is just decisions can be made whereas you always have to retroactively justify everything in a reboot or a sequel or a remake why it has to be the same so I think that it was great to just get on with it. Yeah. One thing that I will say though is I don't, in terms of like bringing back from the original, I think it was an error to lean so heavily on John Carpenter's score. Did you miss it in the second, Dev? I, um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think I kind of loved the second one. Oh, <laughs> I knew you'd and... like that Halloween party. I wasn't sure if you'd like the movie, but I, I knew you'd like that big party. And I think the reason for it was that it, did manage to the 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 second half of the first film being such a close cover version but with all of this everyone just saying fuck every three seconds kind of grated for a while 
I thought it sorted itself out in the end and it, it kind of, it, 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 I got used to it. But I think that the second having such a different tone and being able to build something completely separate, um, I think worked in its favor. And I think that as much as I love the score, and I think that, uh, it's Tyler Bates, right? He's, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, the the composer who who worked on X Ty West's X, which is brilliant, and he's done a bunch of like really good horror scores. But yeah, just every time it came in, it was so conspicuous. I was drawn mm-hmm. back to the idea of like, oh, you're watching a remake of a famous film. Uh, see, I had that whole feeling about just the second part, just the kind of the the almost beat for beat remake elements of it. Um, but but it felt slightly off because I didn't. We hadn't spent any time with these teenagers. I think, I think that's, that for me, um, to go summary a little bit was the film's kind of biggest flaw in the storytelling. It was Laurie Strode. That is just like another vehicle, like the, the rape victim. Laurie was another vehicle for me and just, uh, you said it there, Gally, not enough time, not enough time to develop. I, I, yeah, but what more do we know about Jamie Lee than we, than we know about Scout Compton? Do we know something better about Jamie Lee Curtis? I, I, I seem to remember just enjoying the performance more and everything and, uh, enjoying the character more. This character did felt perfunctory to me. We didn't get any of those tiny, tiny, tiny moments, right? We didn't get the, the old Girl Scout comes through again. Just those little things where you got a bagel you know, instead. Exactly. Yeah. I, for me, it was about perspective and, and who's. It is perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Following. This is not the, the first one's Laurie Strode's film. This one's Michael Myers film, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was very hard then to shift the focus and then get pretty much a, a kind of sped up version of the original. But without necessarily some of the, as you say, because the mystery has been removed from years of lore, but also in the, in the kind of the world of the film, we're, we're in a, it felt like a kind of latter Friday the 13th where I'm like, okay, well, I'm just it's waiting, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for yeah. the kill then. And it will be yeah. a case of, are oh, the kills creative, which is never my attraction to this type of this type of movie and to the point where in the unrated version and i don't know if you felt it but the kind of she's in the she's in the vents she's in the walls i was like god this film needs like 20 minutes shaved off it i don't know why we're Mm, doing the michael chasing her i could lose a bit off that final haunted house pursuit yeah, because um, crashing through walls and all that mm, stuff. You know. I just don't think the film. A couple of bits of it are uh, uh, awesome though. When she falls through yeah. the ceiling. Oh no! Yeah, again, horrific. individually, that's that's what I mean. Mm. I think um, you know to walk into my like brief summary for the first one is I think there are moments where I totally am on board with Rob's Rob Zombie's vision, and I'll give you, I'll give him this. Listen, he's got an aesthetic, he's got a worldview, he goes for it. We've we've done many films where it's felt very vanilla. And a bit like, what's your, what's your point of view, filmmaker? Like, give us something. Were you scared at the end, though, Devlin, with the pursuit? You know, like the pursuit of the original film is quite terrifying. But again, Mm. I wasn't quite terrified here. Yeah, no, it was, it was more kind of, um, it was visceral. It was, it was visceral and, and, and that's what makes it tense and And relentless um, too. That he's unstoppable. In, in a very human way, not in a supernatural way in the first one. That's. Yeah. But it's still, you could shave some time off it though. I know what you mean. You could shave a bit off that house bit at the end. But it's so crunch, like it's so crunchy and he's got such mm. an amazing tactile sense of, um, production design. That's like, he, 
this is we mentioned the the brothers Strauss already, and like fucking hell, if this if this is how you can in two thousand seven make a film that's visually dark but also a visible and b is actually like evocative of darkness because you have to put some fucking light in there otherwise you don't know what dark is um and i thought that uh it, in terms of cinematography i thought this was fantastic i thought it had a real clear vision there was an occasional bit of like um unnecessary camera judder which he carries over into the second film as well in terms of emphasizing something uh you know that feels a bit pro wrestling, you know, like when, uh, I don't know if like the big show does a choke slam on Kane and they're both really big and the camera guy next to the ring goes when he lands. Cause it's oh, like, right. and th- that's, uh, that's a bit of a pro wrestling trick. It's, um, which yeah, a bit cheap, bit of a cheap effect, but apart from, uh, the sound design as well was like, it was, you know, mm, all okay. that, all that splintering wood and stuff. It felt like, it, everything felt dangerous. But we didn't get the clumsy fall off the balcony that I love in the first. Yeah. Second one? First one? Um, <laughs> the amazing, the amazing sound effect when he lands a. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the, the ending, the, the gunfire and the scream into the night. I, um. It, it yeah. definitely crescendos, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes yeah. somewhere and peaks and then ends and I appreciate that. At least he didn't have him getting up and, and there being a vacant frame and like suggesting there's a sequel coming. It, it Linkin Park and... music kicks in. You needed Malcolm McDowell to have said something utterly, utterly profound, mm. wouldn't you? Like, evil is dead tonight, but it <laughs> shall rise again. <laughs> Autobots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> should we do a quick, uh, a very, very quick summary and recommendation for the first Halloween and then we will move on to Halloween 2, Rob Zombie 2009. Mm. Um, so Matt, you were the, you were the super fan. I think I know where you're going to go with this one, but final thoughts and recommendation for our listeners for this Halloween. Okay. Uh, the sheer brutality of it differentiates it from the subtle original and, and a lot of the immediate sequels. Uh, and there's been nothing as graphic so far. Uh, I don't want to do down uh, David Gordon Green too much, but this one sort of had the guts to go from scratch and try and do something new. Uh, there was no Jamie Lee, no Pleasance, and it was just kind of a retelling. And I, I felt like it was like a bizarro world Halloween, and I quite liked that. Um, and there's a lot of boring, inferior sequels, and some of them in this series, and, and I don't think this is one of them. Um, I, I prefer it to Gordon Green's and he scored major points with me for, for kind of filtering this mythology through his own sensibilities and not selling himself out. And he's not trying to be Carpenter, which is really brave. Um, and he didn't pander to the Jamie Lee thing either, which was cool because I'm sure she was in the picture or at least mentioned. Um, but he's faithful to the core structure of it. But the only, the only thing I really wanted to say was that it, it feels like a cover song. And if you, and sometimes you like a cover song and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you like the original and you don't like the cover. Sometimes you hate the original and you love the cover. So, um, I'd, I'd 100% recommend it. Um, depending on how, how you can tolerate older films like the 1978 Halloween, it is dated. Uh, I would go, if you're a fan of cinema, I would go to the original before this. But if, if you want to watch something a bit more contemporary and then, perhaps revisit the original this one would be um 
a, a recommendation for sure. Um, so yeah, I'll keep it brief. Passing over next to uh, Devlin, how about you? Um, I would also recommend it. Um, I think there's a lot to like about it. I was surprised at how how on board I was with it. Um, yeah, a, a cover version sounds about right. It's a, it's a different spin. Um, I think probably at the time, 2007, probably there was, you know, we were in the, the midst of a slew of very similar looking or, or what seemed on the surface to be similar looking remakes, reboots, everything's coming back. And then you find like, oh, they're doing yet another version of something that I really like. And, um, Halloween as well had like, Halloween hadn't really gone away. It had just kept fucking churning out like increasing shit. So, you know, six to H2O to resurrection meant that we hadn't really taken a break from it. Um, and I just sort of ignored it because I, I didn't think that there was going to be much to it. I was probably a bit snotty about it. Um, I still think that there's uh, a lot of stuff that doesn't work super well for me. Um, I think the dialogues, um, heavy handed and everyone talks very similarly. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of like, I'm acting thus. I must say fuck every three seconds and stuff. The three girls aren't particularly well sketched out. Um, it's a rush to get the Haddonfield drifty, let's get to the shape murders bit. But, um, in terms of like, as a, as a very effective, nasty little, uh, seasonal slasher, it's, it's, it's really good and it looks great. And, um, there was a lot of poor inferior films around of the era, especially in horror. And yeah, it is nice to see someone with, with a voice, even if you, and you can't really get rid of the dialogue and all that sort of stuff that I don't particularly like, cause it's all wrapped up in the thing. It is what it is. You start pulling threads apart from it and you start compromising what the guy wants to do. So, you know, taken as, as it is, it's, uh, you know, solid, solid recommend it. Um, how about you, Patrick? Uh, you guys have actually kind of helped me to, I've had, um, that sounded like a dick. I've had a quite a busy week and it was quite hard to concentrate on the film and find the time. I watch it very late after work and apologies. <clears throat> I, I wasn't sure. I, I just, I, I thought it was okay. So if that's a recommend, it's not really, is it? But, um, you definitely made me think about it differently and appreciate certain things that when I think about, I, I kind of like that zombie does honor the original film to a way in the story and build upon it and try something. And he definitely tried something here and I appreciate that and I can see that. And he's definitely like, <laughs> certainly found a kind of technical proficiency for, for violence and, and blood and, and the action really. If we are likening it to something recently, we've watched Alien versus Predator and Aliens versus Predator, colon, Requiem. Oh God, no. Um, then this, uh, the action and the horror and the violence in this is far better than, than anything we saw in those films. And, um, the blood, yeah, every now and then I can enjoy a, a gore, a gore fest. Um, there was far more, there was loads more tits than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> but you know, like the exploitation thing is something I'm kind of, I'm not, um, overt to, I'm not, um, an expert on and ex- exploitation cinemas with, um, something I need to learn more about. So, you know, the rape seems very jarring for me and didn't work. There's a lot that doesn't work or kind of makes sense. And I found the vehicles for, for this film to, to progress in, which is kind of a shame and weak kind of storytelling in that way. Like you said, Devlin, the girls, 
the main character, Laurie Strode from the original, and this one, it's, she's not mapped out properly. And um, I don't know about you, like we didn't really talk about uh, Ham Neal, but Michael McDowell is in another film, isn't he? And Big Joe Grizzly, we didn't Trek? mention as well. Because oh, yeah. Big Joe we didn't Grizzly even talk about Joe on the t- oh, On the Jesus. toilet, that is a bizarre scene. and just kind of <laughs> I wanted to like know, that. Patrick, how he got that jumpsuit, and now I know. So it's fine. <laughs> oh, right, fine. Um, <laughs> Ta- and Taco Supreme. Oof. Ken Faree talking about his feces. <laughs> I don't want to call it like a run-of-the-mill film, because I don't think it is. I think... I don't know. I'm t- kind of torn. Kind of torn. Um, yeah, certainly watch it for the Halloween films because I think there's something different in here and I do hang on to that and appreciate trying something. I just think it was very, uh, spoon fed and obvious and kind of that, that simplistic Gully talked about that was too simplified and I, I like the nuance. I wanted some nuance and some, some mystery and I didn't get it. Um, if, if that makes any sense, excuse me. Get Galley, then yours. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not really a great deal new I can add. I think I'm, I'm in largely in agreement with kind of all of you. Um, I like the first hour, despite, uh, as Devlin said, some of the kind of jarring, just the tone. It's very oppressive, very nasty. All these people are quite hateful. Um, but I, I give lots of, um, credit to, a fi- a filmmaker, and I think Rob Zombie is a proper filmmaker who's got a vision and goes for it. Um, and I like the idea of taking that prologue from the original and stretching it out for near on 50 odd minutes. Uh, obviously it ends with the reveal of it's a child and not uh, a man in the original that we would probably expect. But that I think was Zombie's idea. And I'm going to stick with my theory that that was probably the film he was going to make for two hours and he would have in his deal with dimension would have had to have given the horror fans what they would have expected, which is some Haddonfield kills. Um, I also found it interesting that he's from Massachusetts, Austin, Massachusetts, which is not, <laughs> so it's a road trip reference there team. But um, I, to my mind is not white trash. Quite an affluent area of uh, uh, the United I States. Illinois. No. I, 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 I don't know. About no, that. no, I, I'm I, on I about think, Rob um, Zombie's origins. It, oh, what? sorry. I, I thought... mean, if you've if you've seen uh, uh, Gone Baby Gone, that's set in in Boston, Boston. Boston. I think that there's. I think there's. There's. Uh... Okay. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying that it's interesting that he's got this fascination with the uh, with white trash America. Oh, I heard him on a podcast. He talked about how his upbringing was a lot like the movie Carney with uh, Jodie Foster and Gary Busey. Oh God, Carney. So there's a lot of traveling around. Uh... Um, Kind of a gypsy life, and small hands. Uh, there was violence and <laughs> small hands. Smell, no, smells, like, smells like cabbage. <laughs> he did it. There, there's there was a lot of violence and um, fires, and because uh, it's all it's all a scam. Like they they all the gambling games and the shooting games and stuff was rigged, right. and people would fight, and and they him and his mum eventually abandoned that life. But mm. it was I think it was on Joe Rogan. It was very interesting and uh, offered a bit more insight into. As you say, Rob Zombie's origin. I've seen the episode of The Simpsons, so he used to go around (laughs) and uh, make wages and then steal people's homes. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay. Well, no, but I, uh, but on a on a serious note, uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed the wrong word, but I was interested in this 
in this very, very different take. But I just felt like that rushed the end. That second part harms the film in, in totality where I was sort of like, oh, this is less interesting because I've seen a better version of this. And even though this is different in, in every way, the brutality, the, the kind of the visceral nature of the kills, um, I found myself disengaged because the characters that we are then supposed to empathize with, I just hadn't had enough time to like them. Um, therefore mm. I was sort of like, mm, let's just get on with it. Right. We're going to do something different here. Uh, listeners stand by for a little advert. Yes. An advert. Listen in to the sponsor of this episode. Yes, we have sold out. So uh, please enjoy. And w- when we return, we'll be discussing Halloween two. No full stop. Rob Zombie, 2009. We'll be right back. Would you like to publicly express your love and passion for cinema, but such displays are not welcome at work? Do you dream of wearing a t-shirt with Jet from Gladiators on it, but you can't find one in the Fruit de Loom collection? Have you always wanted to plaster your bag with stickers of your favorite directors, but you feel like you're a little bit too old? Then go to devlindoesdrawing.com where you can buy the memories of your favorite films and the filmmakers that made them. Posters, t-shirts, and mugs. So don't let life pass you by. Go to devlindoesdrawing.com for the memories of a lifetime. Delivery guaranteed in two weeks. Okay, welcome back, listeners. We're now going to discuss Halloween 2. Rob Zombie 2009. That's not the order, by the way, of the title. I'm just making it up as I go. Um, but before we do that, let me remind you and the listeners of the plot to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. A year after narrowly escaping death at the hands of Michael Myers, Laurie Strode is at breaking point. Pushed to the edge by Dr. Loomis's revelation that she's Michael's sister, little does she know the unstoppable killer is back in Haddonfield and driven by the visions of their dead mother. He is determined to bring about a family reunion on this Hallow's Eve. Where do we want to start with this one? Because um, I think it's very, very safe to say that this one has an overall feel of difference, yes? Mm. Yeah, very. My title was Dreamweaver... <clears throat> Even the dream, there's dream sequences in it, but even the parts that aren't dream sequences are very kind of ethereal mm. and. Uh, it's a lucid dream. Uh, we're wondering, yes, is it or isn't yes. it? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Vanilla Sky. If there were murder, <laughs> well, there is murder. Oh my god! And there's a mask. Jesus Christ! Six degrees. Can make rip off. It's a rip off of Vanilla Sky. <laughs> it, he was very different, and especially like the the different Michael. And I get that the Michael from the other one would have been older, even two years of that age is quite mm. significant. But there was yeah. things that were jarring to me in this film, like the, the, the dreamy weemy stuff, which is new and wasn't in the first Rob Zombie film. So it's obviously got away from the first film and rewritten and completely like, I got that one out of the way. I've done what Dimension wants. Let me try something else, which is okay. And the different Michael jarred me, but for the jarring aspect, you know, I, I did watch Halloween 2, 1980, whatever it was, and the hospital. Like, oh, okay, we're doing that, which surprised me. But to go so long 
into that hospital bit and then fake out did annoy me. I'd got hints that this From was going to chat. Did we um, spoiler alert? A, a little bit. There was like, so, I, so when it Sorry. happened, no, 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 it's fine. Like I, I didn't it read wasn't, anything. Dev, didn't, so it yeah. happened and I was <laughs> kind of like, oh, for fuck's yeah. sake. See, you, you just didn't explain which dream it was. You just said that there's a big fake out dreams. And then as soon as it did happen, I was like, ah, that'd be it. And I got to say, my immediate reaction was, I'm not annoyed. Ah, right. Right. Um, I, I think I wouldn't have been annoyed, well, Devlin, if it had been five minutes or so and, and kind of mm. bang. But we, we're 20 minutes on that, aren't we? I, I look at it as like an homage to the yeah, original yeah. Halloween 2, doing it within a dream. So, again, it could be contractual. I have no clue. It could link into what Gally's saying about people pushing him into, why don't you do the hospital bit? Mm. Just carry it on exactly from where it left sure. And he does that, but he does it as a dream. And in the cinema, when she starts crawling over all those bodies in yeah. a skip, mm. that was the bit where I was like, hold on, what's well, going yeah, on here? That... I looked around the cinema. There's about three people there. <laughs> and I just thought, um, he's, he's gonna, <laughs> that this is one of the least accessible, um, like horror sequels I've, I've ever seen. And it's fully crackers. The, the bodies yeah. in the bin really confuse me. And I, I should have realized then, yeah, fine. Do they do that? That's not good. But I was on it. Everyone <laughs> knows. Slow on the everyone well, knows I, the I was body also like a little bit relieved at the same time that it was Drew Ziggers because the way she <laughs> runs on that kind of half broken leg and, and hand, I was like, ah, okay, right. So she didn't do that really because she wouldn't be able to. Hmm. Were you also <laughs> thinking like, uh, you, you, nobody wants to I was tired when watch, I watched like, this film. So I was thinking very yeah. logically after work and maybe I didn't throw a bone. So I'm going to apologize in advance yeah. that I might be a bit down on this because this um and you know i found it but that did piss me off to start yeah i i'm with you patrick and, and matt it feeds into what we said uh with the first film with zombie and just generally his sensibilities in going too far i'd love to yeah. know if he was contractually obliged to do it because i think as a jumping off point i think it's great like of course we 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 were pretty down on halloween too when we kind of we discussed it in the margins didn't we um mm. about just you know more long takes not a great deal yeah. going on uh it quite boring. boring looking yeah. location at least mm. he makes the hospital look more interesting here with the with the rain i i think as a jumping off point for your for your then sequel and to kind of you know the old subvert your expectation i'm all with it but you know to go back to the the you know the the altar of james cameron I would have preferred my dream sequence fake out to have been five minutes. You know, I yeah, work with the company. Yeah. I'm really just a nice guy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jonesy starts hissing and then <laughs> it's a dream. Fine. Right. It's five minutes. And then we, right. and because the other thing as well that that does is it informs you about the character, right? We know yes. that Ellen Ripley, or in this case, Laurie Strode is tormented by what happened in the first one, but 24 minutes. I was like, and as soon as it happened, yeah. it pissed me off. I was like, wait a minute. What have we just done here? You just wait. You've literally wasted my time. Like Gally said, if it's going to character develop, did, did any of that hospital thing actually happen? And if not, then it's betraying no. this 24 minutes of dead kind of time of just a dream manifestation. I think there's, I think there's a stretch which you can probably take as the continued favorite part of the film potentially was the very opening. Which is of her. Sure. Yeah. Like the, with those big long shots walking through the town with just, you know, there's, there's a really ambient 
uh, soundtrack it's really quiet it's the, and we can see that she's changed yeah. her, her costume it, it, she's a different person beautiful lighting in the background in some of those shots there's one where she's walking across the crest of a, a hill mm-hmm. and the, the road's all wet down and there's this big red and white light flashing out behind her and it's like and uh, uh when the sheriff comes up and takes the gun out of her hand the transition to the scream on the gurney the um the kind of casual um nature of the hospital workers while you're watching pieces of glass being like it's yeah. it's yeah. a physical it's um fingernails yeah it's the but physical it toll of what happens and I, I think that probably you can say that the there's first a blur part, isn't there yeah i think the first part could be probably read as a fairly realistic depiction of yeah. what happened at the immediate conclusion of the first film and the start of the second it's i would imagine it's the point at which she wakes up and she's talking to octavius yeah the, the dream is the knights in white satin yeah. uh, it, it's yeah. it's on the tv yeah. and it's yeah. also when she wakes and it, it's also in in buddy's little the security guy's yeah um, place there so yeah it's it's kind of bookended by the the um i've forgotten the band moody blues Moody blues yeah so um, i i was uh i was fine with it i guess just because it was fucking good like it was really well done maybe because it was so long we mm. were more willing to go with it because it can't be a dream if it's 20 something yeah. minutes and then it's like aha yeah it is <laughs> but yeah. you do feel a bit like and it was all a dream and people get pissed off by that i just think instinctively that this is where maybe as I say, zombie needs an editor or a creative partner just to kind of a little bit more restraint or, you know, it's not like he tricked me. He didn't trick me. Like I say, I, I knew that there was these like surreal elements. I didn't feel in safe hands from that point because I was like, right, okay. Then what else is going to happen that I'm now going to question? Cause am I going to question everything that I see? And that's where had I felt safer in the, in those first 30 minutes, then maybe. I would have been uh, more open-minded for the remainder of the film. I think it would have been a very easy, quick fix. G- give me the mother and the white horse in the hospital to, to, I don't know, something to develop her character very early on and then fake me out with a dream with Michael coming in uh, because that would that would set up and pay off later that it's developing her connection to Michael. And again, I have a theory on this, Patrick. I, again, wonder if zombies... So in the un- in the unrated version, it's kind of implied that she's going to take over from the the Myers lineage of becoming a becoming a killer. I in, wonder. Sorry, in, in Halloween two or Halloween? In Halloween two, yeah. In this in this version of zombies, she picks up the knife, doesn't she? Or yeah, uh, and then gets that's one I down. watched. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if he wanted to make this film, but with no michael myers as in like that so the fake out would be that laurie did all the killings i don't know what you think about that mm. but i think that's probably what his intention was and again i get the sense that it was like whoa, whoa, whoa you can't do a halloween movie without michael we myers. tried that oh yeah <laughs> you, re- you you think that they that there was an intent potentially to go uh michael-less rob zombie doesn't strike me as somebody who's gonna be like oh has it been done before then i'll just do that like he just doesn't so, mm. you know, in the first one, he probably had to make that compromise because it's like, well, I'm making a studio, a big, he's made films before, but he's now going, he's stepping into the arena of, right, here's a well-trodden IP with history, fandom mm. and studio, major studio interests that's going to have some mandates. That film, whatever the critical um, and and fan consensus was, made a lot of money. So I think he would have not been given like 
a blank check or a kind of an open book. But he probably thought, yeah. well, that I'm going to get more creative freedom in this one. And mm. and right. from the research I've done, that that was the polar opposite. It was like, uh, no, this is you're going to have to do this and this, this and this. I don't think he'd be interested in making like a Halloween two where Michael just continues to stalk. Well, that was what I thought was was fun about oh, fun. I mean, it's grim as fuck, but that's what I thought was fun <laughs> about the idea of teasing the the you know that it was the hospital because um, we we did say that Halloween two eighty one hasn't aged super well, and. um they started it as such a, a, a fever pitch. They started basically with the end of the hospital, which is that she's already, you know, she's got a broken arm, she's got a broken leg, she's limping around. Halloween 281 had to play for so much time to get us to the point where we could have a, a, a stalk and chase sequence. And they opened out with it at such a, such a furious pace that it was obvious that it was going to run out of road and that they were going to have to f- flip to something else. But he'd spent so much time humanizing and then mythologizing Michael in the first film that I figured that it makes sense that he also continued with his, you know, man mountain Michael this time. And (laughs) that once Michael has essentially died and been reborn, that it would take on this kind of extremely twin peaks influence. Oh, it's very twin peaks as life after death type thing. And, and the, the, the twin peak stuff is, is a lot of people rip off Twin Peaks. I, uh, for one, give him an awful lot of credit for just how blatant he's willing to be with it. The step <laughs> yeah. frame slow mo, the score that sometimes sounds like <laughs> Angelo Badalamenti, the the use of like uh, pulling the score way back and just using a lot of like abstract noises and sounds instead. Um, the the you know the spotlight, the white horse, the uh, mysterious you know ethereal figure leading him through the thing i thought it was all like uh so it it made sense to me that there was a michael just because um a film just focused on a on a post-traumatic fucked up laurie strode would be uh, it's a slug and this this supernatural element i thought lifted it I don't think they would have gone Michael this They would have gone Michael within the dream. Okay. So there's still a Michael, but it's right. And there's a 25 minutes of Michael and then you don't see him again, maybe. It's all in her head. And then we as the audience are thinking that Michael's going around, but it's really been Laurie the whole time. So you keep baby Michael and you keep Sherry Moon Zombie leading her around. But that's what I think was probably the concept for this sequel. And then... That's interesting. And a compromise has happened. I, I think it has to have done because you can't. But you can't tell me that the that Rob Zombie's original idea was to have an ambulance that has got an old guy who's a bit like, please don't be a creep. Even though I quite like the idea of being a creep, I don't want to get caught. And then a deer just runs out, and all of a sudden, it's a cow. Can, cow. Oh, it's a cow. <laughs> cow. Yeah. I mean, come on, come on. A cow that, that van dead. That is a yeah, funky that, cow. That's a Michael Myers of cows. I think that to me, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, I reckon he got a studio note that said, no, Michael's in the movie. You need to get him back in. But the, the white horse was interesting because that was something that cropped up during the production. Uh, I thought that was clearly in his mind all along. Cause like you said, it's in the Rorschach test. It's in all of these things. Like some white but satin saw- as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He he saw a white horse in a field and he thought it looked very cinematic and he wrote it in as the film was being made. Wow. So 
if it's clumsy, if it's crowbarred in. I, I didn't really see it like that. I, I always thought it was imagined that way. But it's it's amazing, really, that that was kind of put in during the the, the process yeah. of filming because it's so it's so central. It becomes like a, thematically yeah. it's all the way through, isn't it? But I guess I quite, I quite like that that sort of instinctive uh, um, yeah, filmmaking. Not? You know, it, it it goes with with his kind of his style really which is that you know he clearly has a lot of of confidence and is willing he's, to put things he's on he's very like that some the, the making of sometimes he walks onto a set and he, and it's just not right and he says knock all this through knock all this down he picks up a hammer he starts doing it and he leads by example he's a very hands-on guy and if something's not right he'll change it even if it's on the day or or whatever like that and i and i really respect that mm, mm. well we've talked a lot about how we felt with the extended fake out sequences and just the twin peaks of it all. Do you think it works? Do, do you want, did, did you like that element in your Halloween film? That, that brought me into the film quite a bit actually and really intrigued me. Um, the, 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 cause some of it's really quite visceral, like Devlin said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. when it starts to ramp up and she gets integrated into, what's real, what's not. And there's like a crucifix on her, on her head and the image of the horse and the mother and the ethereal nature of it. That, that what drew me to this film more than anything, actually. Um, Cause fake out or not, if it did piss me off, whatever. But I was glad to see again. And my review of the last one the summary was I'm glad he tried something different and take us away mm-hmm. from it. And I, I was glad for that in this one as well. Cause when it happened, it, it, I said it jarred me cause it did. I was like, Whoa, what's this? This is, this wasn't in his first film. So this is new and interesting and trying something. And sure. Where, where's, where, where are we going with it? Mm. I, I personally, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought that it, it piqued my interest. I was intrigued. Yeah. Um, as a as someone who watched a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth, it felt a bit Friday the Thirteenth with the okay. mother talking to Jason. Okay, yeah. Um, but but this is done far more artfully, and and there's a there's a there's a bit more vision in uh, in the in the original Friday the Thirteenth. It's literally just the well, I say I don't even think it's the original act- actors. They just get an old old looking um maternal figure <laughs> to just be like Jason kill mm. them. At least this at least this feels a little bit more like ooh It's wh- a vision quest, isn't it? And it is more cinematically done. Uh, and it, it it was enough for me to keep to keep me um on board with this with this journey. And also it got major points, as Patrick said, for being a bit different. We've seen everything done a thousand times in this series and all the other series of uh, of sequels to horror films. Yeah. And uh, this one gets points for just going yeah. off the road. I'll take know? I'll take uh someone trying something all day and um but but what do you think about how it again it's perspective. So Gaddy, is this to help Michael Myers or is this to help Laurie Strode's character through the film? Well, I think this is where Zombies first film kind of harms this one because yeah, i yeah. for me personally I mean, it might not have been for you and it might not be for our listeners but because i didn't feel like i got a strong connection with laurie in the first film yes she was the final girl yes she ticks a lot of boxes in normal kind of horror trope um style but i don't really know her as a person uh, i'm not suggesting you know we need to sit down and have a coffee and have a chat but but i didn't really understand 
and I didn't have enough time with her. So then to shift perspective to her and this be her movie, where the jumping off point feels like we've missed, I've missed, there's a section missing for me. There's mm. a history with Laurie that feels like it's missing. And they, yeah. I do think Zombie is aware of it, which is why the one connection that he could draw back on is her relationship with Annie, which is played by Danielle Harris. But then he tries to, there's a lot of deference for Annie in this movie. When she gets killed, there's like a section that feels like it, it's like, now everyone let's be sad. And I'm like, I'm afraid outside of knowing that that's Danielle Harris, the actor playing Annie, who was in a previous Halloween movie, I've no deference for this character. Again, I don't know what you thought, but that was me, mm. me watching it. I'm all for Brad Dourif. More Brad Dourif, please. You know, <laughs> well, it's more his reaction, isn't it? That, that really makes it work. Um, and he's, he's more likable than her in this one. He's doing his best, I think. Um, and uh, and that death scene is it's quite hard to take that one. I know we've already had a bit of a fake out with the first movie. We thought she was dead there, and uh, it's it's kind of we don't actually see her killed in the second one, do we? She's kind of pursued, as you say, step frame. Uh, but it's the discovery of the body that's that's very upsetting, and I, I feel like he did a great job there. Doing yeah, it. the discovery is is intercut with little snatches. So when when uh, it's when uh, Laurie comes back to the house. And every room that she walks into, she then looks at something and then she see like a, a bookcase has been knocked down and then you get this really aggressive, yeah. like short flash of the, of the sound and the fury of it all. That's right. It just bursts, isn't it? Of, I, which I thought was fantastically well done. I, again, I've never seen that done before. I thought that was a really interesting way of doing it. I thought that, um, Annie and Laurie's relationship was played a lot better in this one. It lapsed again into a bit of like, so, okay, this is the kind of film where, you know, you get that idea that like directors will sometimes maybe say, oh yeah, on this take, just kind of mix it up a bit, mix it up a bit. Just, and, and what that means <laughs> is that you get young people yelling fuck at each other. And, and it did happen again, but there was more to it. There was more to mine from it because they actually had, um, a perspective to play. You know, you know, both of them have been through something awful and they're kind of tethered together because of it. And they probably were very good friends, but now they are having to live together she's a constant reminder yeah. i think the line is and mm -hmm. and you know laurie is probably very thankful for the the brackets have taken her in but also she is utterly fucked and is would feel somewhat trapped by them as well and um there's a lot of the whatever psychological depth wasn't really there in the first one i did feel like they they were flirting with a lot more realistic stuff and i think that the way that um scout taylor compton played laurie's um uh, stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, the, the, the anxieties and the stresses she had would occasionally histrionic, but there were moments where it felt very, very, very real in a way that was the, the sequences with Margot Kidder were great, especially the one where she's begging for medication because she just doesn't want this yeah. anymore. Yeah. That felt like <laughs> they were willing to make her seem so desperate in a way that I've not seen in films like this as well. Stay centered. What's going on? <laughs> I had this really, really, really crazy attack, and not while I was asleep, while I was awake. Look, I, ju I just need you to prescribe me something, please. Lori, according to my notes, you should have a lot of medication. I don't. I'm, but, I'm out. 
Look, I need you to get your magic pen and your magic no, piece of paper, well, and I need you to write me up a prescription, please. Laurie, that's not the answer. Are you doing your breathing exercises? Right? Breathing exercises? Yes, it helps. Breathing exercises are going to cut it. Like, I can't deal with this. Oh, I'm not honey, strong enough, and I'm tired of pretending that I am. Look. Lori, listen to me. Stay with me. You are so much stronger than you think you are. You are. Now, come on. Sit down. Sit down. Fucking let me go and give me some fucking prescriptions. I'm going to give you some Haldol to tide you over. Haldol? Yes, Haldol. It'll take some of these thoughts away. I don't want Haldol. I want my prescriptions. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I got a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. vibage in this one like i don't think he was able to quite fully insert some of the strong imagery from that movie into his first film by god he tries to <laughs> i mean yeah uh there's lots of it including a death that felt like a little homage where she gets grabbed from the door i yeah. i I, did, yeah. I just felt like with this one you 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 said about the second half of the first film being kind of a marking for time i I got that sense with this one and I don't know whether it was because the opening 25 minutes kind of put me it's on a, a little bit chunk, of a, bar- a bag, bad footing, but I was then like, okay, so now we're now, 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 now we? really yeah. the, the like only that, bits yeah. that I was kind of gra- like grappling onto was the Loomis is, has gone completely egomaniac, um, <laughs> which, you know, they were all quite fun, but they totally, um, I mean, we love a horror film that kind of fluctuates between comedy and horror. That's, you know, kind of give you that levity. But he, but McDowell's going so big. It was almost like, is this McDowell the actor or is this Loomis the, 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 the character? I didn't know. What? Okay, I am all for selling books, right? God knows I've done some things that I'm not proud of. This is disgusting. I did not agree to this backdrop. I mean, what's next? Heading over to the cemetery and dancing on the victim's graves? <sighs> Look, I don't think you quite understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. Well, fair enough. I don't. Please explain it to me. I would really like to understand. I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. The sizzle? Yes. The sizzle. Mm-hmm. It's bad taste is what it is, okay? And it's just going to add fuel to the lynch mob fire. Bad taste? Bad taste? God, it's business, woman! Business! Besides... Bad taste is the petrol that drives the American dream. Well, I think it's a mistake. Oh, yeah, you do, do you? Yes. Well, when I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. Here, now take that and go sit in the car. Go on, get Ow. your ass in there. Okay, hi, where do you want me? But the midsection is very... Do I say loose? You know, like, you've got uh, Loomis's egomania with the book tour. You've got... Laurie, who's struggling with the trauma and just clashing with people and going to therapy. Well, I guess that's your character stuff. I it mean, is. We can, we can but, say that it's moving a bit, it's leisurely, yeah. but at least we're getting a bit more, they're sque- squeezing the characters a bit And more. then she finds mm-hmm. out she's the sister, I suppose, as well. That's, yeah, that's the big thing. That's the big, big thing, thing, right? Yeah. Um, the, that takes her to a titty party for Halloween, which yeah. is the most insane party I've ever seen. Uh, you mentioned the strip joint there. The kills are really good, actually, but the, it did feel very Kill Bill again, didn't it? With the, the guy, you know, when in Kill Bill, where they say Michael Madsen take out the trash, oh, yeah. this guy has to take out the trash. It's all the same 
the same stuff, isn't it? Rob Zombie is the screenwriter for these movies as well. Um, I, I, I just feel like he must have got so many studio notes to say, you need this and this, you need this and this, mm. which is why it felt so mm. disjointed. So mm. the, the idea that you've then got like a Twin Peaks of it all, you could argue gives you an excuse to make it kind of really quite structurally all over the show. But I think for me, I don't, it just felt like such a compromised movie because I can't imagine that this is what he would have wanted. No, I didn't. It felt a bit disjointed. And one of the big disjointed scenes for me is the werewolf dude in in the van with a girl. Mm. And when he goes to pee, I only watched this late last night, sorry. There's a weird, does Michael just appear like ex Miller just? What was that about? That was weird. It's, the, it's, the, it's that Judder cut thing, because he comes in from the back as well. He did. He says on the commentary that there's, uh, I don't know if it's when he kills the, the werewolf or when he kills the girl, strangles the girl, but he wanted Michael to appear as if out of nowhere. So they uh, digitally removed Michael's mm. approach. So he just appears suddenly. And I'm not sure which kill it is. So the but, tree uh, when he's missing. That, that was, yeah. Yeah, that that was edited down. I think they had a sequence there that, that they ran out of time and they wanted to do something uh, to a greater extent, but they ran out of money and they had to do it quickly. There there are moments where you can see budget compromise just a little bit. Uh, I think um, the the party sequence is is a fascinating um, set, and I think it's really fun. Uh, sh- people shooting bands as if the band is playing live always comes across weird in films just because it becomes like the word or something like you have to shoot a band playing <laughs> and it's never, it, it doesn't make any sense as to whose perspective it's from. So it just falls into the, uh, the, the visual language, the visual grammar just comes from, from music TV shows. So it always jars. Uh, and also the fake TV show was such an obviously cheap set. Like it's literally a back wall and a sofa and, you know, Chris, Chris Hardwick kind of slouching about and stuff. You know, there's, <laughs> I know that it would be pointless to build a huge, like, uh, full blown, like TV studio for a scene that is barely in the film, but you know, the canned laughter is, is, is really up in the forefront of the sound mix. It's, it's all got such a sort of synthetic quality. Just those two bits where like, you know, you're using a different type of TV and visual and film grammar and it tells. Devlin, is there an alternative ending? Uh, Wikipedia had the remake saying that she emerges at the end wearing a mask and that Michael is impaled on a rake. Oh. That's not the version I watched. Oh, from, from the, from the shack. No, no, that's, that's not in. Well, that would be an alternate one. That would be perhaps on the DVD. Yeah, interesting, or, that. I haven't seen that myself. But it's not in the cut. Yeah. It's not in either cut, the theatrical or the... I was very American. interested by that. And do, um, is... At the oh, end... yeah, no, I'm, read, I'm reading that as well. Like, yeah, uh, strange, right? That's not how the film finished. I mean, Wikipedia... I quite like the idea of... of her... She did come out with a mask, but... um, uh, it. What Did you like the ending? Did you like her... Do you like her development to to become the kind of Michael Myers at the end. It's thematically fitting with the series, isn't it? Because you have the Danielle Harris thing in four yeah. where she becomes the, yeah, uh, she stabs the, mom the, in the, the killer and that's the shock of the ending. Uh, so he ties that in, he ties in the brother sister thing and he sort of combines the bits that he likes from the franchise into his duology or whatever you want to call it. And he makes it his, which 
I, I kind of appreciated that, that condensing and running it through his filter. And, yeah. uh, I thought her, uh, her Butch and Sundance, you know, when she gets gunned down by the cops, I thought that was yeah. like, I was like, that's a choice. When it happened, I was like, holy shit. You're not going to kill Jamie Lee off yeah. that way. You know, it's a, it's a bit different. I, I don't know. There was just, there was something, there was something that I just couldn't get on board with this one. Um, but you're right with the, with the kind of Butch Cassidy, um, Sundance stuff, but I'd seen that in The Devil's Rejects. I'd you know, I'd watched that movie yeah. with Rob Zombie, and he'd done that there. Where Freebird yeah, plays out in full, yeah. including <laughs> long instrumental. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's yeah. quite crazy. But but yeah, I, so I don't know. It felt like he was playing his greatest hits a little bit. But again, I wonder if that is because it was like, right, we're going to give you limited shooting time. We're going to cut your budget. The script that you gave us that we greenlit, we're we're just this is what you need to do and i just wonder if he probably got browbeaten to the point where he's like well i'll just fuck it i'll just yeah we'll do this because it just didn't feel like a coherent vision whereas at least with the first one i think he probably made a compromise but it felt consistent i might not have liked everything i probably didn't have enough time to get to um you know for the journey to feel completely wholly satisfying whereas with this Mm. one i felt like the building blocks were probably there in the original script, but the way that the film is is kind of parred out and edited, I just didn't quite feel like it was earned by the end. You know, it was like only 20 minutes earlier that she was in despair at seeing Annie dead to then, yeah, you know, I think I'll yeah. be a killer now. And, and that's where the, mm. that hospital thing we said, you know, if, if they built it at the very beginning of the film, her connection maybe right. the through line would have been stronger. Weirdly, I just, I don't know what it was about this one because there's stuff in it that I also thought was like still kind of, not bullshit, but you know, <laughs> a little bull, a little bullshit-esque. The whole werewolf van goth girl sequence is very stupid, but you know. Golden it, shower, it is what yeah, it, cool. It is what it is. Uh, her character in general, she was the the last holdover of the awful like super over the top dialogue where everything mm-hmm. everything's so overwritten and then it's performed kind of slightly irritatingly as well you know the two coolio for schoolio uh, uh jumping up on the chest <laughs> that that was you know i think the film they got in the first one we said like i wasn't really scared i, I never get emotionally invested in these two films either really I, I don't know what it is, Devlin, to be honest. I, I know you had enjoyed it. I don't know whether you feel the same way, but I just found I was always removed from the film because right. I think it's, um, style over substance in a way, to be honest. Um, but that said, there is substance I, I try and find in there. And I, he just tried things with Michael and developing in the first film. And then this one, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like Laurie Strode. And, um, I don't know why I didn't sympath- empathize with her more you know the trauma is really apparent but just something just doesn't work in the storytelling for me it's it's interesting patrick isn't it that i got more pathos from the child actor who played young michael in the first okay yeah 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 than i do in two movies it's not and again it's not a ding on the uh on the actor plays laurie strode it really is i think in the scenes that she's given and the dialogue and just something about the interactions. It's not because she's like kind of foul mouthed and a bit aggressive, you know, none of that. If anything, I should be totally on board with her trauma, but something was missing 
And I don't know whether it's like one killer scene that meant that I could invest in her, her kind of trauma, but I it just, it was lacking as well for me. And it's, you know, it's interesting that again, it's Brad Dorif somehow becomes more sympathetic than, uh, mm. than Laurie Strode. And mm. we, you know, we don't really get a great deal of Brad Dorif. I don't know what it is. I, I see what you mean. I think th- the fact that she transitions into a, a character that's a lot like Michael is another factor that she she perhaps shouldn't have, how likable should she be okay. if that's good, mm. if that arc is going to be believable so i mean i mean devil's advocate but i i i hear you mm. i hear what you're saying how do i access Laurie strode in a way i right. I, don't, mm. I don't know i i just always kind of i always felt removed from it that that's i wrote in my notes yeah. patrick she's a she's a name in these two yeah okay but in the in the original we don't know too much about her either but there's there's such a a a beautiful kind of vagueness to the original you don't you feel like you need to know anything beyond what we're given uh and everything is vague but matt it might also speak to just a kind of general like societal prejudice you know in the in the original like okay i get it she's a she's like a girl scout she's prissy kind of uh a bit of a swap Maybe it is like literally, you know, unveiling my, my prejudices that, you know, somebody who's more damaged, um, less kind of outwardly likable. I struggle with. Ah, I think Annie might have been more interesting in that kind of. Maybe that's because Annie's not tied to the events either. Annie's gone through this hell and she's not even related Mm. to this maniac. She's She's trying to support collateral damage. Fine line. Yeah, yeah, she's mm, doing her best. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it, but it's definitely something that I butted up against in this movie. And the other thing that I, I butted up against mm. in both, and it's a question wider and outside of just um, these two movies by Rob Zombie. Do horror films need to elicit scares? Because the one thing that I never felt in these, and I don't think Rob Zombie's going for it either, is I never really felt a great deal of suspense. And I never felt scared not scared like boo in the corner ha a jump scare because you know their cheap thrills isn't what i'm in for but i just never felt like i felt uneasy and kind of creeped out in the first one you're talking about something that lingers after yeah the just you know because there's lots scare. of there's lots of scenes of michael entering home yeah, home invasion for me is like that's like deep-seated fear mm. of mine always um but but i just for whatever reason like the 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 surf the the world that's presented meant that I just I don't know whether it's an authenticity or whether or not again it's because the way that zombie doesn't restrain so I see everything Patrick Stewart um, therefore I'm somehow less afraid of what I'm seeing on screen Michael left on the grass <laughs> on the grass. <laughs> that makes sense. Am I am I rambling? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just I'm with you. I'm with you. My my instinct is. Absolutely, they do. But, um, you know, it's all so subjective, isn't it? What's scary? I mean, Rosemary's Baby is scary, but does it, does it jump scare you? Probably not. But it lingers with you. You'll think about it. It'll, it'll linger in your mind. And if, if that's, that's scary, yeah. then, then that works. The Exorcist is a disturbing film that lingers. But this after is more the entertainment, this uh, one. But something like the, yeah, the, I think the thing is that the, the bar for slashes is quite low. And, uh, this one attempts a few things that we haven't really, um, had to deal with before, and it, uh, it, it again, it gets points for me for just for having yeah, a crack at it. That's true. There, there is such a, a fatigue, isn't there? There's a, it is, it is a low bar to clear because you know, even in the, well, not even, especially in the kind of the heyday of the slashes, the sort of early to middle eighties, it was just the same 
shit and they they weren't aiming for anything at all they really were cash grabs and a, a couple of them have survived and only the good ones have really persisted in the in the years since but i think that it was doing a good job of um taking expectations and sort of messing with them but not in an extremely irritating postmodern way which i think it also gets points for not doing like there can be a tendency to either like you conform to the stereotypes or you actively um uh, avoid the stereotypes i am not going to keep banging the rob zombie didn't want to make this because i'm not rob zombie and I haven't spoken to him personally in several months, so I don't know <laughs> if this is true. But but I am gonna I'm gonna kind of wrap up my theory, and it's only because filmmaker makes uh, Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses gets a monoculture, gets a kind of a fandom who were already there with the music, but now as a filmmaker is genuinely getting the kind of credibility from a certain subset of zombieites i don't even know that's what they're called but that's what i'm calling them then dimensions films are like we need to reboot halloween halloween hates 2 as we discussed was not good you know the kevin williams successful film, though successful but the kevin williamson experiment did not work for that film yeah neither did the um, well, Kennedy that... experiment Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, does anyone remember that? Oh, I, I, oh yeah. sidebar. Oh, you, you got next. <laughs> <laughs> I think what happens is Dimensions Film says, Rob, we really like you. And more importantly, we think lots of people like you and they will want to watch your version of Halloween. So he compromises and says, okay, need you to, need you to do the Hanfield stuff, but you can do whatever else you want to do with the series. So he does his mm. kind of split. Let's look at the psyche making a murderer because I think Rob Zombie is smarter than people give him credit for. And he's not only kind of tapping into the gritty Ruby of it all, but he's also tapping into the thing that fascinates us. And we discussed it way back when in Silence of the Lambs, didn't we, Devlin? True crime as a, as okay, a, as a, right. as a thing. Everybody yeah. loves so it. Make, Just, making the murderer, psychologizing. Absolutely. Everyone's an armchair psychologist all of a sudden. We bloody ruddy love it. I mean, apart from, right. you know, if we, if we genuinely wanted to make a rewind movie true crime podcast, it would do better than the movies, <laughs> I think, because just people love this stuff. They love just sneaking kind of... in a recommendation for uh, only murders in the building, which I actually think is very good. And I'm thrilled to see Martin Short and Steve Martin together doing something that they clearly are having a cracking time doing three amigos please yeah well yes. I mean, it's just good to see steve martin without just a banjo you know something else so it's good um but anyway hey man's a talented banjo player i know he is i know it is but he's not just a talented <laughs> banjo player that's what i'm saying um anyway so then he, it becomes a success financially whatever the critics and the i think the most fans were on board with the first one i think that was the consensus i got matt correct me if i'm wrong most people were like okay will give him credit for doing something different and also his aesthetic though aggressive and can be off-putting to some kind of felt like it was of post, the time it was like yeah, yeah. I, I, you know i don't want to go like post 9 11 but there was a certain sense <laughs> of gritty darkness feeding into you know reflecting in pop culture the the um the perfect counter program to that was like lord of the rings where we're like oh some hope please christ mm, right. but you know what i mean like there was that sense of we want both sides of the spectrum. I'd like to be dark and dingy, but also please, Frodo, get to Mordor, chuck that ring in, please. Mm. Um, so then he makes the sequel, 
writes a screenplay. I think his screenplay is Laurie Strode is the killer the whole time. And Michael Myers just comes back to an vision. I don't think he wanted to make Halloween the greatest hits. And that's what, for me, Halloween 2 Rob Zombie is, which is why I just, yeah, I'm watching a compromised film and it, and that's me justifying why I really wasn't into this one, guys, at all. To say I was bored is probably strong, but to say I was disengaged is definitely accurate. I will say one thing is, um, the, continued long tail impact of quentin tarantino can't be understated on films like this whereby he really did open the floodgates for filmmakers to be able to be pop cultural magpies and go crate digging and remixing things that they loved from films which would have been deemed in like you know unreputable disreputable you know like trash um there wasn't really anyone doing it before him and there were a ton of people doing it after a lot of people stole a lot of things from tarantino and not all of them did it very well what rob zombie did very very well was that he did understand synthesize and was able to create new things from old materials he was he wasn't um and i think that the halloween one the bit that suffered the most for me was the bit when he had to hew too closely to one specific influence I think that I again I don't know the man I also haven't taken a call from him in in several months but he does seem like he is willing to take patchworks from everywhere I mean this you know the the twin peaks uh David Lynch imagery of the white horse and the women just counting on like people who who are big fans of him being like David Lynch who's that it's like yeah well you know I, I I think he's happy to just like to, to love what he loves and, and wants to put the stuff on screen. So maybe, I mean, he wouldn't have, I would imagine he probably pitched for Halloween. I, I would have thought that he would have lobbied quite heavily to get it and he would have made it because he is a big fan. And I think that potentially the opportunity of playing around, especially casting Daniel Harris means that he does understand and clearly has some affection for at least some of the, the, the kind of the Thorn trilogy sequels. Um, so maybe the idea of like, cause it's five, isn't it? That ends in the big is that the Celtic scene. Six, six is when it goes full Celtic and it makes uh, no fucking sense. It's the yeah. worst one, uh, with Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Five is the kind of the irritating one where, um, uh, Daniel Harris, uh, Daniel Lloyd, I can't remember the character. It's all gone. It's all gone. <laughs> Daniel Harris's big sister is in yeah. four and she's a big part of it and she's still in five two and daniel harris is in a hospital and she's and she's mute now because of the trauma mm-hmm. of it all and they kill her off and then bring in fucking tina the irritating friend and yeah. she's the one who's going to the big party in the barn so i don't know whether you know rob zombie would be quite happy to play around and and, and pick up kind of plot threads and because it is very patchwork like like you said the middle of the film and the later part of the film is just a case of you can drag and drop I think he just weeded it out, hasn't he? He just he just took yeah. what he wanted and and left what he didn't. But I do feel going back to that big dream sequence, th- there was a part of me that thought, um, you know, someone had had a word with him and said, "Can you just kill some nurses in the hospital, please? Can you just can you can you right. do some of that stuff here?" Hmm. And that's why I quite like Gally's theory that maybe Rob Zombie initially wanted to just have twenty five minutes of Michael, and then perhaps have him appearing somehow in some kind of dream sequences throughout. Uh, briefly and then end with, with Laurie becoming 
becoming the new Michael and, and that would all be edging towards that. But it's an interesting theory. I honestly don't know. Like you, Matt, I, I came into this thinking that I didn't like Rob Zombie. And I watched his movies and thought, okay, I get your... I understand exactly what you're going for. And I think there's talent behind the camera because I think in certain scenes in the first one, he really does achieve what I think he wanted to He set out, you know, get the mission statements and he understood it, understood the brief in the second one. I just can't believe that that's what he would have wanted. So I'm watching individual scenes and I'm thinking they don't connect even tangentially like the first one did you know there's a there was a lot of um mental gymnastics i had to do in order to kind of buy where we got to and i'm just not sure that that's you know that was by design um but mm. i suppose we will we will do our final thoughts and recommendations um devlin i'll start with you because i get the sense that maybe this one this this la- <laughs> this lady this lady was for turning <laughs> uh yeah i came into these honestly both of them i came into them not low on them just kind of with no real fixed um idea of, of whether i was going to be into it or not i didn't i didn't have any any high hopes i also didn't think they were going to be a shit show i just thought that they would be unnecessary like that's the whole thing just sort of felt like unnecessary um and the first one really kind of turned my head a little although i i liked bits and pieces of it but overall um probably didn't leave with a particularly strong um feeling one way or the other other than that it was a, a very effective film and a surprisingly effective film I came into the second one. Um, I don't know why. Again, don't know what I was expecting. the The fact that I was kept off kilter, perpetually off kilter, and some of the great individual choices of stuff that I've not seen before and that were really effective and didn't ruin the tone of the film, which which surprised me as well, was there is stuff from the second one that is now lodged in my head, and I think will probably stay there, and that's. That in and of itself is quite high praise, I think, for mm, a modern day horror film, especially for a, a sequel to a rebootquel to an unnet potentially, you know, like a, the what eighth film it was. This one, yeah, that, you're um, right. In, yeah. a, in a series that had been degraded it, to various extents, um, it's a far better film than um, Rick Rosenthal's Halloween Two. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, which. Which, if if nothing else, that's an achievement, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the first one I will maybe watch again, you know, later down the road. I think the second one I'll probably end up watching more than once. I think that there's bits of it are still kind of clumsy and a little irritating, but I felt that it it all felt like it had a bit more room to breathe. Now, whether that's because structurally it was more of a fucking mess and that it was quite quite ragged but i quite liked the ragged nature of it i liked that it just felt like some sort of rambling kind of it felt like Freebird. it was sort of, with the know, instrumental yeah exactly it's solos it's on top entirety. of solos on top of solos and it's like you're gonna follow it where it leads man and uh i came out of the whole thing thinking like i don't know this rob zombie's got something this be retroactively allowing him to make films 20 years after he's been doing it but but yeah um galley you're always last on these things what do you make of halloween yeah you go next so i'm gonna have to caveat um it's gonna be a bit of a strange one um i think 
the the second the second entry in the zombies um halloween series is is weaker but there are still interesting aspects and i think there's value in watching it but i at the same time just let me just pull the splinter out of my bum there we go um <laughs> i'm not sure i can recommend this just because i don't think it will satisfy those individuals from who have either watched the first one fans of the series or fans of just like horror because the one thing that rob zombie never did for me is kind of give me a sense of any kind of suspense any kind of tension any scares any frights it was really i was watching it interested curious and I, and I think Patrick said it was surface level. I think it's more than surface level, but I'm not sure he, there is much depth beyond what he presents us with. And, and a lot of it then comes into you asking questions. And as I say, reflecting back. So I was looking at perspective. I was thinking about, I'm identifying with the killer here and not the victims. And how does that make me feel? And why do I feel that way? Why do I not have connections to? Laurie Strode. I know Laurie Strode, the name. I've got a history with Laurie Strode in this series, but for some reason, I'm just not able to kind of identify with her struggles in these movies. So that was more interesting for me. So it's one of those where I think it's worth the journey, but I am not going to recommend it, um, which I know sounds like a complete contradiction in terms. Hence why no one pays me to write blogs and series and criticisms of movies because quite frankly i'm just too centrist so yeah i think but i think he's definitely a filmmaker worth exploring um i haven't seen lords of salem matt um I, i'm going to give it a go um even if you tell me not to <laughs> just because i feel no, no. like I, I may as well finish it off and then um and then go watch the monsters because I'm expecting like a baby to get microwaved halfway through, but it might not. <laughs> you never know. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I stand on it. Um, but I, I really thought that it was a good idea to do these and I'm glad we did because I feel like in a way I want to go watch the David Gordon Green films again and see where these stack mm. up now that I've, right, I've yeah. kind of digested, especially now that's a trilogy. Now that's a full arc. Let, let's give that a, I'm going to give that a chance when I see, I think it's the 14th of October. It comes out to see Halloween ends. And I think that's going to shape my view of the entire thing. But at, at the moment, as things currently stand, I'm leaning towards uh, the old zombies. Yes. You could say, Matt, the shape of your thoughts. Oh. Oh, there we go. Matt, uh, final thoughts. And would you recommend Rob Zombie's Halloween too? Uh, I just wanted to mention my favorite scene from the first, which was uh, Malcolm McDowell and Mickey Dolans from the monkeys. <laughs> doing the improv version of the Terminator gunshop scene. It lasts about 30 seconds. And I, yeah. I rewound it about 10 times. It's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, I think the the suspense versus brutality thing is, is always the overhanging, overarching thing when it comes to these with me. I still prefer Carpenter, obviously. I'm not insane. But... <laughs> um, this this abandons a lot of the suspense you're talking about in order to, to replace it with this brute you know blunt force trauma stuff and you know thinking about the david gordon green thing that has a lot of snarky kids and it has another kind of thing going for it and I actually lean towards this brutal kind of 
depiction of Michael. I know he's a bit, he's like, he, he choke slams someone at some point. He is the undertaker at some point, but it, it's still uh, something different and something I appreciated. I, I think Halloween two in particular, when me and my sister went to see it, there was probably three people in the cinema. And I think one of them probably got up and left at, at one point. And uh, I, I don't think it's for everyone. Uh, so it's a really hard one to recommend. If you're a horror fan, if you're a fan of the series, then absolutely watch it. But to the general public, there's some really, really odd stuff in there. Mm. Like I, I equated, you know, the bit where they hit the cow and the guy's mouth is just, it's just a horrible. I think it's Wayne Toth, the guy that does the makeup and everyone just at all times looks like they've been in some kind of car wreck, but that guy's jaw is all broken and he just keeps saying fuck, fuck over, over and over and over. It was like the boogie nights, um, Phil Hoffman. I'm a fucking idiot <laughs> version of the horror version of that. And I remember on the commentary, though, Paul Thomas Anderson said, we, we like that he says, I'm a fucking idiot once. But what we don't like is that he says it 20 times in a row. Is there any chance you can cut that, cut that down? And it feels like, like that, like Rob Zombie went fully in with what he wanted to do. Uh, there's some really grisly, brutal stuff. Um, I do think it's inferior to the first. I prefer the, um, half, uh, reboot half remake entirely reimagining whatever however you want to describe the 2007 one um but this one's just crazy it's it's peculiar and psychedelic at times uh, it does get a bit lost in the weeds um but that white horse thing it kind of brings everything back uh, i can see where he was going with uh making laurie the the new michael uh, i i don't mind the idea I, I love Malcolm McDowell in this. I, every time he's on screen, I'm laughing. Uh, I, I just find that, that kind of brand <laughs> of ham and cheese really, really funny. Um, again, I, I'll just echo the idea that it's, uh, that, that the original is kind of a cover song, but, but it's two films really together as, as a, uh, as a duo. Uh, it still plays like an overall thing that he's imagined it, it's a it's a little incoherent in places but they i do feel like they go together beware of the double bill though because i got some michael fatigue about um an hour into the second one particularly the the uncut versions if you're a fan of subtlety i would stick to the 1978 john carpenter and stay away from these but um it, if you know if you want to, if you're a fan of horror and you don't mind getting your hands dirty a bit and you don't mind some harsh more than harsh language actually and more than brutal violence um I, i'd recommend it and the second one particularly at halloween is quite quite nice it, it, it's it's a it's a vicious film but mm. straight i don't know what you think dev but it, it peculiarly fit the halloween mood even though it was kind of a nasty a nasty effort it feels like something you could watch in the lead up to halloween that is honestly that is absolutely it because i always struggle sometimes trying to put together like what films i'm going to watch on halloween because you know when you get people asking for recommendations or you have blog posts and stuff talking about oh what should what horrors should you watch this halloween and most of them just you know some of them are just run-of-the-mill slashes some of them are kind mm. of they just don't quite fit there's this sort of it's difficult to describe it unless you see it that some mm. films just feel like halloween and yeah. a lot of the halloween sequels don't and this one yeah this one does i guess because you know you've got the you've got the eeriness you've got it's unsettling but it's also really brutal um there's a supernatural element to it i always feel like that's for me that that's a that's a winner 
on like mm-hmm. Halloween's. It doesn't have to be supernatural. It can just feel uncanny. Like the original yeah. Halloween is not supernatural, but it has this sort of undercurrent of like the uncanny strangeness yes. to it. Well, that's, that, that's that, the beauty of Halloween, isn't it? It's the time when, you know, we don't want to get all buffy about it, but, uh, mm. <laughs> it's open. The perm, the permeable <laughs> membrane twixt the living and the dead, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, we do. I, like- I, I don't want to do an official ranking or anything, but I will say, I think there's 12 films now, including Halloween Ends, not including Season of the Witch, which is, right. of course, awesome in its own way, but I wouldn't include it in the Michael, um, the Michael lot. I would say that Rob Zombie's two films would be in my top five overall somewhere right. obviously john's at the top but I'd, I'd put both of these in my top five halloween maybe we should uh because i haven't ranked them and and like uh, out with uh halloween ends which isn't out yet i've i have also seen them hmm. all it would be worth putting together like everyone maybe just uh we'll send a um maybe for the blog we'll all send a, uh, a yeah. list we'll all we'll all do our kind of rankings to date yeah cool we'll, we'll do that and then we'll see who gets the most heat online (laughs) um i I like your um your summation though matt of rob zombies halloween one as a cover song rob zombies halloween two is experimental jazz so that works for me (laughs) um where then where can our listeners who are preparing their halloween um marathons (laughs) where can they get a hold of these movies okay halloween 2007 in the in the uk um uh, Virgin Media has it to stream and you can rent it on Amazon, Google, YouTube, Apple, Sky Store. Uh, if you're in the USA, our American friends, you can stream it on FX now and rent and buy in the usual places, including Vudu. Uh, and, uh, if you're in Korea, I don't know if anyone is in Korea. A couple of my mates might be. It's on a new one called Watcher. You can find it on Watcher. And uh, Halloween 2, uh, you can stream it. I think it might be on Sky. could be on Google, Halloween 2, in Korea. Uh, DirecTV, Fubo, Peacock in the USA. And finally, in the UK, it's not streaming anywhere, but you can rent and buy it in the usual. Excellent, excellent. Uh, just a quick update for avid listeners who um, heard on Jaws 2 about mincemeat. Um, we're actually going to do a GoFundMe <laughs> Um, to try and raise the funds to get our own streaming site called Mincemeat. So, um, just, uh, keep, keep your eyes on, uh, on those apps. I'm going to, I'm going to siphon funds out of that so hard. This is going to yeah. be like what, whatever, uh, GoFundMe scams you've ever heard of. This is going to be the scam to end them all. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. Could I put a plug in for Scout Compton and Danielle Harris's podcast, which is called Talk Scary to Me? Uh, it's loosely horror based, uh, but it's a bit saucy. It's saucier than our podcast anyway, which isn't too difficult. But, uh, yeah, you can find them on Spotify and all of the, uh, usual places where you listen to podcasts. Oh, very good. Very good. If you do like what we do, then please like, subscribe, share, spread the gospel team. Okay. Um, our Spotify rankings are going nicely up. So keep those up. If you haven't, given us a little like on it then please do it does help us and uh please pen a wee review on apple because um despite what uh what sort of major blogosphere say it's still one of the bigger pop podcasting platforms and it helps bring more people to the party so we can tell them to go away if they haven't seen the film that we're discussing. 
<laughs> so there we go. Our next one up for Halloween is a listener request who wanted to do The Lost Boys. Um, some may argue we've gone terribly unscary this year. However... We always do a bit, don't we? I would say that a man with no top playing the saxophone is about the scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. So... <laughs> Just, if you haven't seen The Lost Boys in a while, one, Joel Schumacher, that's all I need to say, uh, and two, vampires, man, vampires. I mean, they haven't been around in ages. When, when was the last vampire film that got released? You tell me. So we're going to do The Lost Boys because they've been dead for too long. This is Dracula Untold Erasure. <laughs> Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, to be honest, I don't mind. Indeed. Also, you've got Keith the Sutherland, you've got... Uh, lady from twister she's in it yeah remember here the good old doctor um so yeah lots of lots to look forward to so we'll be doing the lost boys and then we've got some horror adjacent post halloween to keep it um yeah keep it scary for the rest of the year as i said scary times in the uk those of you not in the uk also scary times in the world uh, but especially in the uk i'm not going to mention the reasons why but you know okay there we go oh political oh yeah we don't get political on this show um, but we do like we do champion local radio, and we'll just say that and then leave it there. <laughs> cool. Um, right, we'll say our goodbyes then, shall we, team? It's Halloween, and Halloween is a big trigger for you, isn't it? It's Gally in Glasgow, and it's Chet, the bringer of death. That's two T's uh, in London. All right, boys, Grizzly's back in town. Who's got the cracker jacks? It's back <laughs> in South Korea. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>